Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, you guys? So this will be the first collaboration between the 104.601 podcast and the Home Field podcast for 2021. Got my boy Kevin Valentin here. And uh, basically, like for this collaboration, we're just going to go over the really the standings for the NFL playoffs. We're going to go over the matchups in the AFC playoff picture, and then we'll go over the teams in the NFC. But before we get into that, let's let's give Kevin some love. Kev, what's good, man? What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Loving this collab. What's good? It's I'm just chilling. I, First one of 2021, so finished off 2020 strong. And thank God the 2020 is over and done with. I, I don't think 2021 could be any worse than what everybody's gone through the last year. So really yeah, just some damn wood. Don't play with me. Yeah. Just, goals. just literally like I think last year was like the lowest thing that anybody's going to experience anytime soon. So as far as I'm concerned, it's nowhere here, but it's nowhere but up as far as I'm concerned. But. We'll see. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. That's all I'll say. Hey, man, 2021 starting off with NFL playoff football and, uh, you know, home field podcast at 104.6. happy to bring you our predictions and uh, a little analysis behind it. I will be taking the, the AFC reigns and Kyle's going to ring in the NFC reigns. So let's get right into it, brother. Sure. So we'll first start off in the uh, the NFC. So we'll first go down the, the seeds that we have, obviously. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, they secured the number one seed in the NFC, so they will have the only bye week out of all the seven playoff teams. So then after that, we got the Saints. They're at the number two spot. We got the Seattle Seahawks. They're at number three. We got the Washington football team at number four. We got t- the Tampa Bay Bucks at number five. We got the LA Rams at six. And then to round out the NFC, we have the Chicago Bears at the number seven spot. So let's dive into these matchups. So the first one they'll go, we'll go over will be the New Orleans Saints versus the Chicago Bears. So the Chicago Bears did squeak into that last playoff spot in week 17 after they had lost their last game of the year. Yet they find their way into a playoff spot and they will go up against one of the best teams in the, in the league against New Orleans. So Kev, let me just ask you this straight up. Um, who do you think is going to who do you think is going to win this game? Uh handedly, I don't think anybody. I think that the Saints have a lot more holes in their offense than people would like to admit. Uh I'd probably say the Saints win this game by maybe 10 points depending on how Mitchell Trubisky plays. Chicago was one of the hotter teams in the NFL closer toward the end of the season excluding last week's or should I say yesterday's game against Green Bay. But again, they did play the best team in the NFC. So, I mean, I got to cut him some kind of slack. Mitchell's confidence has been stellar. Uh, His play has been a lot better than we all know. Uh, David Montgomery's come into his own, and he's had a healthy last stretch, and he's been balling out. 
Uh, it's pretty much all on Mitchell's shoulders, in my opinion. If Mitchell plays good, this can be a really good game. If Mitchell has one of those games where he, I don't know, messes it up, I mean, I feel like New Orleans can blow them out. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, New Orleans gets Kamara back off the COVID list, and Michael Thomas is expected to play. I believe he's listed as questionable. So it's really a matter of will New Orleans be fully healthy and can Chicago rush Drew Brees and make him uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I think for this matchup, obviously I like the Saints here. I just think the Saints have just too much firepower. And the, the one thing I'll say about the Bears, like this is kind of like just a really, I don't want to say like an out there take, but this is just kind of like my general feeling about the Bears. The Bears are like, <laughs> the Bears are just that team that are just happy to be there. They've been literally on an up and down roller coaster the entire year. And, and both quarterbacks on Chicago haven't played the best football. They've been going back and forth between Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky the entire year. Now, Mitchell Trubisky has played better of late in these last couple games that they've been in. And this really, due to his play, that kept Chicago in the playoff race as far as I'm concerned. The defense has been playing okay. I just think that the defense can only play as far as the offense is willing to go. I mean, the defense can can – hold their own to a certain extent, but when the offense is not putting up points and then you're constantly putting your defense back out on the field, it just, eventually your defense is get, getting worn down. And even if you have Khalil Mack on your squad, even he's not going to be able to go, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game if the other team's possessing the ball that long. So I was actually kind of glad that Chicago was actually able to turn around their offense a little bit and, and find a way into the playoffs. Now, with that said, though, I don't think, they have really a realistic shot of winning this game against New Orleans. I just think New Orleans has too much firepower. Kind of like you said, they have Alvin Kamara probably coming off the COVID list. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't come off that COVID list this week. He's, I know he missed last week because of that, but I think he'll be ready to ready to rock and roll against this, uh, against the, uh, the bears. And then Latavius Murray as well. I know he didn't play last week as well. I'm pretty much the whole New Orleans running back uh, core was out in that last game of the season and yet it didn't matter. They, they won pretty handily in, in week 17. And I think it'll just be more of the same. I think the one thing to kind of keep an eye on is Drew Brees' health. Obviously those ribs are still probably pretty, I'm still going to say they're compromised. He's not, I wouldn't say that he's a hundred percent healthy. I think if he takes a couple of hits, he's definitely going to feel it. Um, you definitely saw it in uh, that one game where he came back, where he was playing against KC and you could tell like the first half he didn't he, he didn't look comfortable out there just because I think he was shaking off the rust of not playing for a couple of weeks. But I think going into this week, I think if they continue the role that they've been been on since he's gotten back, and he has played better of late ever since that KC game. I think they rolled this one pretty easily. I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Saints win by at least two or more touchdowns in this game. Yeah, I mean, again, normally I'd agree with you. Uh, I think this is just a uh, trying to be objective. If Drew gets knocked around, I think that changes the entire spectrum of the game. If you have to start relying on Taysom, Hill, Taysom Hill's mobility, uh, that did poke holes early on in the season when he did cover for Drew Brees. Uh, the Saints did end up winning the majority of the games Drew was out, but people did start to figure out, hey, I'm going to make Taysom beat us in the air. And when that happened, uh, he didn't really look all that well against a lot of specific matchups and defenses. Mm -hmm. All Chicago really needs to do, and I know I'm saying all they need to do is if it's not really hard to rush the quarterback in the NFL, but if they can just get to Drew Brees just a few times and Mitchell just can't, 
you know, get in a comfortable stride. Again, I don't think Chicago wins. I think they just make it a little bit more competitive. And you know better than anybody, it just takes one win to spark a playoff run. So, yeah. you know, a couple of good plays here and there. And who knows, maybe the Bears do make it that 10-point game that I predicted. But if they do blow them out, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think the the one key for – there's a few keys that, that the Bears are going to really need to, to hone in on to, to make this game competitive, in my opinion. Obviously, like you said, they're going to have to get pressure on Drew Brees. Um, I think the one thing that they're going to have to – the one thing that the Bears are going to have to kind of deal with, though, is I, I'm of the mindset that Drew Brees is going to get that ball out as quickly as possible. I think they're definitely going to hit some quick crossers. If Michael Thomas is active for that game, Michael Thomas is probably going to get somewhere in between 10 to 15 targets. So obviously you're going to deal with that. Then you got Emmanuel Sanders and he's been one of the more, more reliable targets for, for Drew Brees this year. And I mean, homeboy went off in that last game of the year, just because he wanted that half a million dollar incentive bonus incentive. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, cool. So. But um, I, th- I think, I think the one thing that the Bears are going to have to do is that they're going to have to get physical with those receivers. I think if they, if they play back and they give those receivers space, I think Drew Brees cars up that defense pretty easily. And if he's not getting pre- – if, if the Bears don't get any pressure on him whatsoever, then as far as I'm concerned, Mitchell Trubisky could put up 25, 30 points. It's still not going to be enough because Drew Brees can easily light up that defense. So I think really the, the big thing with the Bears is – is that they're going to have to make sure that they get physical with the receivers, hope to God they get a pass rush on Drew Brees, and then on the offensive side of the ball, just make sure that Mr. Trubisky is, has a clean pocket. If he has a clean pocket, I think it's really the best thing that you can hope for. He has been up and down the entire year. Like I said, he has been better of late. But if he's inconsistent, if they, if they can't establish a rhythm between him and if, if they can't run the ball well with David Montgomery, I just it's going to be hard for me to see uh, the Bears really put up a lot of points against New Orleans. And New Orleans has a pretty solid defense. So obviously it's an uphill battle for the Bears as far as I'm concerned. And that's why I got the Saints winning this one fairly easily. Got you. So then up next, we got the number three seeds with the Seattle Seahawks going up against the Los Angeles Rams. So just to kind of recap their seasons, uh, Seattle finished off at 12 and four. They finished at the top of their division in the NFC West. Then in the same division, we got the Los Angeles Rams. They finished off the season at 10 and six. They finished second in their division. So where do you see this one going? Do you think it's going to be uh, a closer game than the, uh, the Bears Saints game, or do you think it's going to be kind of similar to that game as well? I definitely think it's going to be a tight one. Um, if you really look at it, it's basically a rematch. It's a, it's a tiebreaker. It's a divisional game. So we already know the intensity is already 100% there. Uh, it's playoff football. We're there. Both teams are no strangers to the postseason. Obviously, the Rams went to the Super Bowl a few years ago. And Russell Wilson having the pedigree that he has with his Super Bowl championship. So I would assume that this game is going to be very chippy very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. However, my biggest factor is going to be Jared Goff. Jared Goff's play reflects the entire Ram season games where he's going off. Typically they win. And where he's struggling, like any other quarterback in the NFL, when you struggle and you can't put points up on the board or you're turning the ball over, you're not going to win. Now Seattle's defense has improved, but they still are not convincing enough for me to say, Hey, they're going to shut it down. Cooper cup, Robert Woods, Higby, Cam Akers, that whole Rams offense, Sean McVay running that system. It could end up being a shootout because God, we know Russell Wilson can spark it at any time. 
But on the defensive side of the ball, I will give the Rams the edge only because they do have two of the best football players on the defensive side of the ball in Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams do upset the Seahawks. Again, they split their series uh, one and one this season. But again, if the Seahawks did come on on top, I think it's going to be a close game. Maybe three to seven points will spread that out. And I, I think that the I think the Seahawks come out on top on this one. I think this has really like the potential to kind of be like the game, the game of the weekend as far as I'm concerned. Because, I mean, it's exactly. it's a divisional ma- it's a divisional matchup here, and I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the Seahawks have a better record, but the Rams play them tough every time they match up against each other. And and, and kind of like you said, with the Rams, it's largely dependent on Jared Goff and whether or not he's effective in passing the ball. If he's if he can hit his targets, if he can hit Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and then maybe hit some of these running backs out of the backfield like Cam, Cam Akers, I mean, I think I think he'll have a decent day. But if he's getting pressured, if he's throwing up Aaron, Passin, uh, Aaron passes, you know, he has the potential to throw at least an interception or two. And in these playoff games, you cannot afford turning the ball, ball over, especially when you're on the road. Now, granted, obviously, Seattle doesn't have fans if – if the fans were there, it would probably make a little bit more of an impact. But I think with with the way that these two teams have been playing, I just I like what Seattle has done this year. They, I, I do remember though, like at the beginning of the year, Russell Wilson was just on fire, and he was at the top of the MVP discussion, really about halfway through the season, and then kind of. It's kind of weird. Like Russell Wilson will have a stretch of games where everybody's saying, you know, why isn't this guy regarded as like an instant MVP candidate at the end of the year? And it's usually because of these points or these stretches in the season where he cools off. And he's had, he has been cooling off since that hot start at the beginning of the year. And trust me, like I had Tyler Lockett on my fantasy team and he was pretty solid the first half of the season, but he pretty much tailed off in the second half of the season. But at the same time, it did kind of give rise to DK Metcalf. And DK Metcalf has really stepped up for that offense. I think if they're able to run the ball, though, up against the Rams, though, I think they'll do just fine. They don't need Russell to go off for, like, you know, for 400 yards passing, three or four touchdowns. I think if they're able to have a decent day from Russ, get, like, 275 yards, maybe a 300-yard passing game, and then run the ball effectively, I think they'll be just fine. Now, is Chris Carson playing in this game? That I am unaware of. I don't know the status of Carson. Because uh, if he's playing, because like that that one-two punch and, and and hides the number two back, right? Those two are pretty solid together. Yeah, so that, that one-two punch right there, if, if Chris Carson is active for that game, which I'm kind of assuming he would be unless there's, you know, an injury that he's dealing with, unless he gets COVID too. But that one-two punch, and then you got Russell Wilson throwing a DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I just think it's going to be too much for that Rams defense to to withstand against, and I think I think the I think Seattle wins this one in a close one. Then I think it's going to be a much closer game than the Saints Bears. I think this is going to be probably somewhere around like a four to seven point game. But I think I think the Saints and not the Saints the Seahawks get this one at home. If I had to put like a score on this, it'd be like I don't know, maybe like 31-27, like thirty one twenty four, somewhere around there. But I will say this, though. It does have the potential to be kind of like a gritty game where the defenses really, really do make an impact in slowing down each offense. So that wouldn't surprise me either. So, but yeah. I, 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 think, I think 
I do think that the offenses the offenses are going to be able to, to get some points on the board. So if I had to say like 31, 24 Seattle. Uh, I, so I know you definitely made a good point with Russell taking that deviation throughout the season of, you know, starting off super hot and then kind of falling down, but let's, let's just, let's not forget this man at the end of the regular season posted a 68.8 completion percentage, 4,212 yards, 40 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. The man ain't no scrub. He has since fallen from the MVP candidate that we discussed a few weeks ago, a few months ago with Kyler Murray, but he still had a phenomenal football season. Could it have been better when he forced a couple of turnovers? You know, I know he had two or three games where he had three interceptions or two plus. So, I mean, was there room to be better? Yes, absolutely. But I mean, the man is still on some kind of level. That man is still a very dangerous quarterback in the regular season or the postseason. It makes no difference, but, uh, you have to remember also the Rams are no scrub into uh, limiting the run. The Rams rush defense is definitely one of the best in the league. So that is a tall task for the one, two punch. That is Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. We all know that Russell can run the ball too, but if the Rams are going to win this game, the Rams are definitely going to have to find a way to contain Russell from those extended plays and Jalen Ramsey is going to have to play lights out against DK Metcalf again. I believe the two matches that those two have had together, I don't even think he's eclipsed over 50 yards in total. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I would, ooh, man, I'm excited for that matchup. No, it, it's going to be a real fun game. It's it's going to be super competitive. Like you said, it is going to be that tiebreaker for really the divisional matchup between those two teams. I, I will say this, though. If you're Seattle, and you're and you're thinking about running the ball as long as you you run to the opposite side that Aaron Donald's on, I mean at least gives you a better shot. If if they are able to somewhat contain Aaron Donald and kind of seal him off whenever they run the ball, I think it definitely helps them. I think obviously if they run to the opposite side that he's on, but if he lines up in the middle, then it might be a little it might be a little bit tricky. And trying to, I mean, if, if you have a single team on Aaron Donald, he's just going to eat up whatever lineman that you have that's going up against him. So, and if you try to chip him with a tight end, that might not work either. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if he's lining up, if he's lining up in, in that, in that a gap or that B gap, you're definitely going to have to get a double team on him. So that does, that does give some pass rushers with the Rams, some a little bit of free space to go after Russ. And if they're able to get pressure on Russ, they can definitely make this a game and definitely steal this one from Seattle. It's just, I just trust Russell Wilson a little bit more than I do Jared Goff in this situation. And I just think Russell Wilson, I think he's going to be able to do just enough to get them this win. I think Jared Goff has a decent day. It's just not enough to get them over the top though. I would agree. Uh, I, I do have this marked on my calendar as upset um, mm-hmm. out of all the games. I will get into the AFC later, but out of all the games, this is truly the only real upset, I mean, the next matchup that we're going to talk about is the Buccaneers versus the, the Washington football team, but the Bucs being the lower seed doesn't make them the underdog. If anything, Washington's the underdog. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking at these matchups, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm just like, I really think that this would be the opportunity for the lower seed to come out on top, and I, I think that this is going to be a really, really good game, like you said, game of the week potentially. Yeah, and the NFC, th- this, this to me, like, when you look at the um, – I'm just looking at the uh, the matchups here. This is definitely going to be the fun one. It's it's a three versus six. It typically, like, the fun ones are always kind of like the four and five just because mm-hmm. usually the, those teams – usually the divisional winner, even though they might not be, like, the number one or number two seed, 
usually that that last divisional winner and then the first wild card team is usually a really solid matchup most of the time it's just this year just with the with how bad the NFC East has been this year it, it's just it's not that exciting but that that three versus six matchup is definitely going to be one to highlight for this weekend for sure so we'll transition like we said into the four four versus five matchup so we got the Washington football's team they're the number four seed because they won the NFC East and then we got the number five seed we got the Tampa Bay Bucks going up against them and just to kind of recap their seasons just real quick uh Washington finished the season at seven and nine Tampa finished at 11 and five this is really like Tampa's like first time in the playoffs in almost 15 years so it's definitely nice to see Tampa back back in the mix for the playoffs so where do you see this one going uh I definitely have this as a absolute annihilation uh as as bad as it sounds and I'm just Bear with me for one second as I pull up Tom Brady's 50-year-old stats. Uh, I, already, I think I already ma- have him up here. The man threw for 65% of completion, 4,633 yards, 40 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. Mind you, the man is 11 years older than Russell Wilson. And he had, what, 400 more yards throwing, the same amount of touchdowns, and one less pick. The completion percentage was 3% less. But, I mean – he doesn't have the mobility. He's on a new team. The Bucks did also hit a very big skid and ended up winning out. You know, they ended up winning out the rest of the season. But at his age, the rumors were circulating throughout the entire season of him and Bruce Arians not getting along. Him throwing the ball to Antonio Brown too much. You know, the chemistry between Godwin and, and Evans wasn't developing. But I have to eat my words, Tom. Tom turned it around. Tom had an incredible football season, and he did show that he is still winning against time. And I think that uh, if the Buccaneers can continue to fire on the cylinders that they're firing, I really do think it's going to be very difficult to stop them in the postseason. Now, their Achilles heel, as it has been all year, is that defense and that inability to not only get to the passer, but to cover the deep ball, like we talked about a few months ago. Um, Now, the counter to that point Washington doesn't necessarily throw the deep ball very well. Alex Smith, as we both have said well before we started podcast, is a very conservative and short, distant quarterback. So I don't really see him stretching the field like that. So I think if the Buccaneers can get pressure on Alex, make uh, life a living hell, and try to find a way to limit Antonio Gibson's production, not only from in between the tackles, but outside catching the ball out of the backfield, I think that the Buccaneers can win this game by two touchdowns. I would probably say... 14 to 17 points if the Buccaneers secondary can hold up. I think so. Like, if I'm just going to pick this game straight up, I think the Bucs are going to win this. But by what point difference? Here's what I'll say. So, I think if I had to guess, I think it's going to be like a 14, 17 point win for the Bucs. But I say, but if Chase Young and that defense can get after Brady, and make them uncomfortable. This goes from a Buccaneers possibly two possession, three possession win to maybe one. Just because Tom does have it, this has really been the one knock on Tom is that like you said he is not a mobile quarterback. He's just he just stays in the pocket and he just dices up defenses. He's been doing it for 20 years. But if they're able to bring inside pressure on him and they're able to knock him down and maybe sack him a few times, 
Washington will have a shot, but I just don't think that it's going to be enough. And I think if Brady really starts carving up that defense, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this, I think the one thing that, that Tampa, I almost said New England, um, the one thing that it's fine. Yeah, the one thing that Tampa's probably going to account for is that pass rush, especially from Chase Young. And I think the one way to counteract that is get the ball out quick. Kind of similar to what I think Drew Brees is going to do in their in the game against the Bears. I think it's going to be very similar. I think he's I think he's going to hit up Antonio Brown a, a bunch of times. I think he's going to try to hit up Scotty Miller, even though that Scotty Miller had that horrendous drop that led to an interception uh, yesterday to the uh, to the Falcons. Um, don't I wouldn't be surprised if if Mike Evans is targeted a few times. I know he had that that knee injury, but it, it seems to me like from what from the reports that I've seen that there was no structural damage. I think he just hyperextended his knee. So, you know, I think Mike Evans will be okay. He's not going to be 100% for this game, but I think even at 80%, he's definitely going to be a red zone target. So I wouldn't be surprised if if Brady targets him a bunch. And then Chris Godwin, I think, is going to be the X factor here. Um, Chris Godwin. I think the one thing that I'll say about like the connection between him and Brady is that I think Brady maybe trusts him a little bit more than AB just simply because that they've been together the entire season. AB came in a little bit halfway through the season. So I, the, the chemistry aspect, I think with, with Godwin and Brady versus Godwin and Brown, not Godwin and Brown, Brady and, and Antonio Brown is a little bit different. I just think there's a little bit more trust with Chris Godwin just because he's been in the system, you know, pretty much the entire tenure of his career. So with, with the bucks. So I would say, you know, just, just looking across the board, I, I, I think Brady's going to throw probably at least three touchdowns in this game. I'd be really shocked if, if the, the Washington defense can really get after Brady and really neutralize this offense from scoring more than 20 points. It, 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 it would shock me if, if the bucks didn't score 20 points. But my gut's telling me that this is going to be a blowout. But I'm not going to rule out the possibility that Washington could keep this close. So I'm going to meet somewhere in the middle. I think the Bucks win this one like 30 to 14, somewhere around there, just because I, because Washington's offense is just inept. It's kind of like you said with Alex Smith. He is a very conservative passer. And I think if, if Tampa's defense is able to slow down Terry McLaurin, if they're able to contain him, that I don't think that offense really goes anywhere. So, and then after that, pretty much all the Bucks secondary has to do is just lock down the Washington receivers. And I think if they're able to do that and then slow, basically slow the run the run game down, I think they'll be just fine. I, I think the Bucks win this one like thirty to fourteen. That's kind of like my my view on this one. The X factor for the for Washington is definitely going to be Antonio Gibson for me. Um, we both know, as we've stated multiple times already, uh, with him being with Alex being a conservative quarterback, and them obviously going to be hindering, and them being Tampa's defense, kind of honing in on uh, Terry McLaurin. I would assume that that means they were going to have to they're going to have to scheme and find a way to get Antonio Gibson the ball a lot more, whether that's screens, just wheel routes coming out of the backfield, mm -hmm. uh, wildcat, however it is that they're going to get him involved. I think Gibson really sees a lot of touches early on. Uh, try to drain that defense, try to keep uh, Tom Brady off the field. I think that in order to win, they're going to have to run the ball and kind of control the uh, the game clock as much as possible. But it's also, like you said, on the defensive side, if Chase Young, if Sweat, 
Ryan Kerrigan, if all those boys can find a way to harass Tom, we both know, even in New England, when Tom got banged up, he's one of those that is a, a, a very loose cannon, and he's a head case, throwing tantrums on the sideline, uh, losing his cool, uh, intimidating teammates. So, I mean, yes, to an extent, a lot of people see that as being a cryberry, uh, crybaby. Other teams and other organizations have labeled Tom Brady as a little bit of a, a, uh, a competitor and a fierce one at that. And this is, this is why you bring Tom Brady onto a team like this to have that veteran leadership. Hey, I have six rings, do what I do. We're going to be fine. But in this case, this is a new team, a new environment. And, you know, Washington may not be the best team in the league and they may not be the, you know, an intimidating team and by any means, but I mean, that defense is no scrub. Like there is not one bad player on that defense and they are a top 10 defense for a reason. So Tom better come ready to go because if he starts getting licked, uh, chippy choppy Alex Smith might come out there and throw three bubble screens in a row and, uh, you know, score a couple touchdowns. And people forget that Landon Collins is on that defense. And he, I mean, he I was, Landon a, he, was out for the year. He is. I could have swore Landon Collins was hurt. Is he? Maybe I, yeah, I missed that one. Landon Collins. Yeah, for the year. I'm looking right now. Hold on. Strong safety, obviously, I know. What the hell? I don't know. Well, I'm, I, we'll maybe I'm tripping. We'll, we'll scratch that then. But, to, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, to me, like, it's kind of interesting. Injury kinda, reserve, like, yes. Torres Achilles. I was right. Okay. Okay. Then scratch that completely. I, I know he's I know he's on that team. I just I totally forgot that he tore his Achilles. But, um it's kind of interesting, like the two storylines coming from these two teams, though. You got Alex Smith, who came back from one of the like most like grotesque like injuries I've ever seen from a professional athlete. And like, I mean, granted, we've all seen some bad ones. We we know the bad ones, but like, I mean, Alex Smith basically was on his way to losing his leg just from all the infections and complications that he was dealing with from that compound fracture that he suffered a few years ago. And for him to be able to somehow get this team into playoff contention really about a year and a half to two years removed from probably what used to be considered a career ending injury and be able to somehow galvanize the team to get them to the playoffs. I mean, you really got to give him a bunch of credit and not only that Ron Rivera too, coming back and recovering from cancer. He's um, he's got his cancer in remission. So he's, he's definitely, He's had his battles off the field as well. And to really kind of see that all of the players on Washington really kind of rally around um, Alex Smith and Ron Rivera, it, it's just, it's great to see as far as I'm concerned. So that like, that's obviously a very, it's a very touching storyline, especially from the Washington side of things. And then to, to flip it to Tampa, you got, you got Brady going to, you got Brady going to the box. This is his, this is a, it's a new team for him. He's been, in New England for 20 years, and he puts up one of his better statistical years in his career. This is the most touchdowns that he's thrown in his career since he left New England. So, he, he I mean, he has been playing outstanding football. Um, he, there have been some chemistry issues, but I think they've been able to work them out. They've really been playing well the last month or so. They've been on a four-game winning streak. And I, I'll say this. I don't think Brady's not going to win MVP. He's he's not even in the discussion as far as I'm concerned. No. But kind of like you said with Russell Wilson, I, I mean, those two, like, 
it just the fact that Brady could put up essentially the same stats as Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson is in the prime of his career for a 43 year old guys to do that. I, I don't care if it's Tom Brady for somebody to do that at the age of 43 and have basically, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say an all pro year, but to, to have a, a pretty outstanding year at that age, it's just outstanding. I'm just, it, it, I shouldn't be surprised by this anymore just because I've been watching the guy for 20 years. I've been watching carve up defenses for as long as I can remember. But I mean, I haven't even seen a dip in his play. His velocity is still there. The accuracy is still there. And he hits the deep ball better than anybody still. I think Mahomes is probably the best deep ball thrower. And then probably Aaron Rodgers were like right behind him. But I mean, for 43 years old and for him to throw the deep ball still pretty well. I mean, he, there was a stretch where he wasn't throwing it as well as he should have, but putting up 40, 40 touchdowns and 12 interceptions with a 65% completion percentage. I mean, it's better than what he had in new England last year, last year in new England, he only had a 60% completion rating. So I, I, it's just, it really is a testament to his, ability to just be one of the most consistent players I've ever seen in across all sports. I mean, whether it's basketball, football, hockey, I mean, baseball, you name it. He has been one of the most consistent players and he has been at the top of his game for over a decade. Almost, I mean, almost literally 15 years. He's been at the top of the NFL, really like the NFL uh, tier of quarterbacks. For that long, I mean, that's just that's insensational. That's sensational as far as I'm concerned. And I, I don't know if you're ever going to see. The thing is, like, I, I don't know if you're ever going to see like something like this again, where you have somebody playing this well this late into their career. I mean, 20 years in. The only person I can really think of was Brett Favre, but he really kind of started to tail off at the end of his career. Outside of that one year, um, they went to the NFC Championship with the the Vikings. But I, I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that plays this well at 43 years old, even with these new guys that are coming in and we'll see how long, you know, their, their reign at the top of the NFL quarterbacks tier is, but Brady has just been outstanding this year. And it really is just kind of a testament to what, what he's all about on the field. He is just about winning and he's going to do everything he can to ensure that he gives his team the best chance to make that happen. It's just a testament, man. You put in the work, you stay healthy, you know, you keep studying. Uh, it just it just goes to show, man. Tom Brady, unfortunately, as much as I hate to admit it, is probably the greatest quarterback of all time. He obviously is the winningest quarterback of all time, and he holds tons of multitudes of records. And even though he went to a new team, even though him and his head coach had beef at the beginning, even though he – seemed to be struggling at one point or another throughout the season. He found a way to turn it around, bounce it back up, excluding the two New Orleans games. Tom Brady had himself one hell of a year, and I know that I talked a lot of shit going into the season, but uh, mm -hmm. Tom found a way to make me eat those words. And, uh, it, again, it's just a testament to how good of a football player he really is. So so kudos to, to TV12, man. I, I just – you got to pay you got to pay your respects to it. I mean – it's kind of, I mean, the only person I could really think of that's had like this like dominant run 
as one of the, the better players or literally one of the best players in the league is, is LeBron James in the NBA. Like yep. that's, it's, it's, it's just the, the, the model of consistency and the fact that they, that both of those athletes have been able to play at the level that they have. And really outside of one year, Brady has never really been hurt. Even it's the same thing with LeBron too. So it's just, it really is kind of a testament to, you know, their ability to take care of themselves and be available when their team needs them to to be at their best. So, like I said, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the Bucs this year, but going into the playoffs, but yeah, you, you, you got to pay your respects to Brady, man. He has just been, he's been outstanding this year as far as I'm concerned. Won't win the MVP. He shouldn't even be in the discussion, but he has been, he's been a very solid player for the Bucs this year and the Bucs, I think really Bucks fans are just happy to see like the team actually have a shot to get to the Super Bowl this year. I think they'll take that over anything that they've had over the last 15 years. Amen to that. And it's funny because uh, I was actually talking about uh, contracts with uh, some friends of mine and Isabel, her dad and uh, her cousin a couple of days ago. And we're just sitting there, right? And we're making fun of Philip Rivers and him being old and, you know, has the, the amount of money that we paid him in the offseason at $25 million a year. And him and Tom are only, what, three years apart? Yeah, Philip Rivers is, what, 40? And Brady's He's 39 40. turning 40, and Brady's yeah. 42, 43. Yeah. So they got paid the same amount of money. And one quarterback balled out like he was 20, <laughs> and the other quarterback – Looked like he was still struggling in his late thirties. Philip did throw for four thousand yards and then twenty eight touchdowns. You know what I mean? Only lost one fumble, but it's the point of the difference of play for quarterbacks in the tail ends of their careers and the level of efficiency. Whole another ball game, mind you. At uh, Tampa's offense is thirty times better than the Colts' offense, not because of scheme, but because they just have talent. Mm-hmm. But I think that if Tom Brady was on this team, it he would probably do the same thing because it's, it's just Tom Brady is like a chameleon. You throw him in any system, like you said, with a, like, like Braun, he's going to find a way to dominate. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just, that was just a, a tidbit that I was thinking about earlier today. And I'm just like, damn, that's crazy. Two quarterbacks basically in their forties and they both got paid the same money. And one is just outshining the other. And, and the thing is when you look at like older quarterbacks across the league, I mean, it's been reported that this is probably Drew Brees' last year playing in the yeah. NFL. Big Ben looks like he's ready to retire. Philip Rivers just is I don't want to say I don't want to say he's a shell of himself. He's he's played well throughout um, throughout his tenure with the Colts so far. He's had he's had his ups and downs, but I thought for the most part, I thought Rivers played pretty exceptional ball for, for the Colts, especially being, you know, a 40 year old quarterback. But then you look at Brady. And Brady's 43, 42, 43 years old. And he's, he, looks, he looks like he's playing like he's like 25. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no dip. Like when Peyton played, after he got that neck surgery, you could tell that there was a slight drop off in a few things. His velocity, his, his deep ball was not as effective as it used to be. And he was able to kind of counteract that with Denver for the first maybe year or two with them because he had just studs at the, at the receiver, uh, at really just the, the receiver position and the tight end position as well. But then, like, the last, like, two years in Denver, you could definitely tell that there was a, a steep decline 
in really his overall play. With Brady, I mean, if you want to say like, if this is like 2007 Brady where, you know, he just threw 50 touchdowns and then he's been here the entire time. And then maybe, maybe like little ups and downs kind of like for each year. And then maybe like this year, it's like here. It's slightly just down a little bit. I mean, he's still playing. He's still playing as like a Pro Bowl quarterback. It's just like you're 43 years old. Like you would expect like a dip, something. And maybe people thought that last year with New England, that was that it was finally that dip because he, he, he did struggle for the most part with New England. And I think in large part, it was just the fact that New England didn't have any receivers after the first couple of games where they had Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown and Julian Edelman. And when you got to the end of the year, they had essentially nobody. It just, it kind of just wore down the offense and people kind of thought that that was the beginning of the decline. And then he came back this year and it's just proved everybody, anybody that had any sort of skepticism about Brady's decline or had any, you know, inkling that Brady was on the decline. He basically just shut them up with that this year. I mean, 40, 40 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, 65% completion rating. I mean, that's, I mean, there are guys getting paid 35 million dollars a year and they can't even produce numbers like that so you know that's just it, it goes to show like it's just he's just an outstanding quarterback he's he's the goat as far as i'm concerned yep and the only one to be in contention is going to be the man we're gonna we're about to talk about so we're gonna slide and transition into the afc playoff prediction and mm-hmm. uh the playoff picture so we have the kansas city chiefs uh, rounding out the season at the number one seed getting their respective by at 14 and two uh, they rested all of their starters yesterday, and they ended up losing that game to the Chargers. Uh, so, again, they sit there at 14-2. and two. Uh, The two-seed is the Buffalo Bills, 13-3. and three. The three-seed is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers at 12-4. and four. Uh, The last division winner, unfortunately and sadly, is the Tennessee Titans at 11-5. and five. The fifth-seed, first-seeded wild card, is the Baltimore Ravens at 11-5. and five. The shocking but deserving well-deserving Cleveland Browns, uh, 11 and five, get the sixth seed. And the greatest team of all time in the entire world, the Indianapolis Colts, are the seventh seed at 11 and five. Uh, obviously, that is biased completely, but I tried my hardest to keep that inside. Anyway, uh, so first <laughs> matchup we're looking at, I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go uh, the four and five, Baltimore and Tennessee. Kyle, what you got for me, man? What's your predictions on this one? This is going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a great game. I think this is this game. It wouldn't really surprise. It wouldn't surprise me like if both teams rush for 250 yards in this game, just because that these offenses are so reliant on the run game. Don't get me wrong; the quarterbacks can definitely throw, but you got Derrick Henry going up against Lamar Jackson with obviously his ability to run the ball, and then you got J.K. Dobbins. Now I don't know is, is Mark Ingram going to play in this game i'm assuming he is i have no idea bro all i've been seeing is jk 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 even mm-hmm. if this man ingram is give jk the ball let this man cook he cooked for ohio state last year and he's gonna he's gonna keep he's doing the same thing in baltimore as far as i'm concerned give this man his touches wouldn't surprise me if jk goes off for like 150 yards rushing now with that said though like I will say this. I do think that Tennessee has the edge here simply because, listen, Baltimore hasn't been good in the playoffs with Lamar Jackson yet. 
And until Lamar Jackson shows me that he can play, play up to snuff in these big playoff games, I, I just don't see them beating Tennessee here. And I remember, I distinctly remember last year that I remember that Tennessee was, was really, I'll say this. I thought Baltimore was going to win that game fairly easily in the AFC divisional game against um, Tennessee last year. And then Derrick Henry single-handedly destroyed that team. Now, do I think that he's going to destroy them again? Yep. Nope. You you don't think so? No, man. You think you you think that they're gonna you think that they're gonna be able to slow him down? So I'm gonna let you finish. I just disagree. I, I think I think that they're gonna find a way to stop him. Okay. I mean, homeboy ran for 250 yards against Houston against Houston last week. I mean, if they find a way to neutralize Derrick Henry, they got a good they got a really good shot at winning this game. I just don't see it happening. Because if they let this man go off again and get like another 150 some yards, and if he even goes off for more, it's, it's even worse. You got to literally throw. The, I mean, if you're Baltimore, you got to literally throw the kitchen sink at this guy because this guy can single-handedly ruin you. Now, the one matchup this year that they had, he beat them in overtime, right? He yeah. ran like that 30. He ran that 35-yard 30, like, run, yeah, 35, 36 run, so to win it in OT. <laughs> And ironically, like literally the route that he ran, like his, his path to the end zone was an L to the, to the end zone. And I honestly think that's what's going to happen with, with the Ravens here. I just, I like the Ravens. They have really bounced back really like in the middle part of the season, they, they were struggling and Lamar Jackson let kind of everybody know about. It. And I remember like he, he was saying that the defense has kind of knew what they were running, but yet they've been able to, adjust and the offense has been playing really well the last couple of weeks, especially against that Cleveland, especially against Cleveland a few weeks back in the, on that Monday night game, which was probably the game of the year. So Baltimore is definitely on a good roll right now, but if they don't find a way to stop Derrick Henry, I think it's going to be all for not. I do think that this is going to be a good game though. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a one possession game, but I do leave a little bit of – I leave a possibility out there that if Tennessee runs the ball really well with Henry, that they blow the doors off of Baltimore. But I don't think – I don't think that's going to happen because I really think that that Tennessee – not Tennessee. Baltimore is going to stack the box and make Tannehill beat them, which, I mean, even with that said, you got to go up against A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, and then John Lee Smith too. So – Tennessee has got some weapons here that they can work with, even if Derrick Henry doesn't have the best day. But their prior their their priority is stopping Derrick Henry. If they do that, they got a shot. It's, I think that I think that Henry's going to pop off, and I think he's going to be the difference maker in this one. I I think this is one that's going to be like a twenty seven, like maybe like twenty seven, like twenty one. I give Tennessee the edge here, to, but. If, if Baltimore slows them, slows Henry down, they got a shot too. I don't rule that out either. So, my mindset behind this is one, coaching advantage, John Harbaugh. Yeah. Two, defensive advantage, Baltimore. Tennessee has one of the worst defenses in the league. Jadavion Clowney turned out to be a ginormous waste of money. 
as I predicted, injury-ridden, waste of a number one overall pick, unfortunate talent just did not pan through because of injuries. Sucks to suck. Uh, I think Baltimore is going to come into this game having that experience from a few weeks ago. They are going to be very chippy and angry because of how last year's divisional playoff round went. Lamar Jackson has impressed me, and Lamar Jackson has kind of turned it around. I really thought Baltimore seasons was 100% over when they went 6-5 and five and they, like, fell three straight. I, I genuinely was – I wrote them off. I said it's over. Especially after that Pats loss. Especially exactly. after that I Pats just, loss. Yeah. I, their, their confidence was broken. I saw Lamar kind of rolling in his freaking quarterback pocket in the room, just kind of sitting there like, I can't beat everybody with my legs. And mm-hmm. what happened? First quarterback in NFL history to run for 1,000 yards of back-to-back years. J.K. Dobbins coming out out of nowhere, trying to compete with Jonathan Taylor for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He, the way he turned it on in the last, like, five or six, incredible. I mean, Jake, shout out to Tyree, man. Them Ohio State boys are just bred different. Like, just, my God, J.K. Mm-hmm. is an absolute freak of nature, took Mark Ingram's job. Granted, if Mark was healthy, he wouldn't have taken it. It may have been a split, but nevertheless, Baltimore's rushing offense has been incredible. Des Bryant, Mark Andrews, you know, Hollywood Brown have all turned out to be better than expected at this point in the season. I think that they have enough film to say we need to strictly and wholeheartedly stop Derrick Henry at all costs. I will literally leave Marcus Peters and freaking Marlon Humphreys on the outside, two all pro, two potential Pro Bowl corners, and I will leave them to fend for themselves with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Now, the middle of the field, you know, with, with, with Smith, you know, that's a little bit of a testy kind of situation. You might have to drop a safety down and or maybe even put Jimmy Smith on him on the nickel. It really depends. But if your only mismatch, air quote, is the tight end position, I think Baltimore really statistically, like on paper, is favored. But it all depends on Lamar's play. Like you said, until Lamar proves me wrong or proves, proves you wrong, I think he can do it this year. I think this is going to be the year he shakes it off. I think that he has the tools to do it. He has a good defense. This is his third, what, third playoff game? Third. He's now got two years behind him. He won an MVP last year. He went through adversity this season with, you know, them going six and five and then winning out the season. I think I agree that this is going to be a close game because if it is a run-heavy game on both sides, the clock is going to be drained. I think it ends up being a lower-scored game, though. I think this ends up being like a 17-14 game Baltimore wins on a Justin Tucker field goal. That's a really low score. I, if you got if if you guys are going to continue to run this out like that, you know what I mean. If it's going to be Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins versus Derrick Henry, dude, you're you're really going to have just time clock eating possessions, in my opinion. You know, if they're going to do play action over the top, quick scores, maybe maybe it'll be a little bit different. I just think both teams are going to run it as hard as possible. I say Derrick Henry has thirty plus touches. Between J.K. Dobbins and uh, Lamar Jackson, I say they have a, a combined total of maybe 40, 45 touches. I don't really see this game being a, a, a shootout for any means. I think the I think the interesting matchup here is going to be on the outside, like you said with um with uh, with A.J. Brown versus like Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and then them going up against like uh, Corey Davis as well. Because, dude, I'm gonna tell you this, I'm I'm a Patriot fan. I wish we drafted AJ Brown. We, I think, Freak. I think, Freak. I think, AJ, 
it, it, AJ Brown is a stud, especially when he caught that like 50 yard, 55 yard bomb that Tannehill threw the other day against Houston <laughs> with like 17 seconds left. Broke my heart. Don't, don't ask me why Houston literally went one on one coverage. One on one. That just goes to show they're a dumb like, organization. And Bill yeah, O'Brien like, is still somewhere in the building. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, though. Like, I do think to a certain extent that that I think Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey are going to have, uh, they're going to, they're definitely going to make their impact. They're going to know their presence known with those two wideouts. I don't think that AJ Brown and Corey Davis are going to have like, like hall of fame games. I, I think that they're going to be held relatively in check for this game, but they could still be effective when it counts. And I do think that there's a potential of, you know, one of those two receivers to make a big impact play, especially late in the fourth quarter, that could make the difference. And then it's kind of like you said with the whole, you know, the fact that these teams are just so reliant on running the ball. I just think of like this matchup between like Derrick Henry and J.K. Dobbins. I One of these guys is going to break out at one of these plays. They're going to break out for at least a you know at least a thirty yard forty yard run in one of these in in this game. What I don't know who it's going to be per se, but if I had to put money on it, I just think Derrick Henry is the guy to go with. Just because even if they run the ball, not they don't have to run the ball like literally like eight nine yards a carry, but if they're consistently getting three to four yards a carry, and then occasionally you get some you get some solid runs, get some first downs. I just think as time progresses in the game, I just think that those those carries by Derrick Henry are going to wear down that Baltimore defense. And then I think – I honestly think that Tennessee is going to win it late. I think they're going to be kind of fairly close. They're going to be back and forth for the most part of the game. But I just think that those touches that Derrick Henry gets, I think they're, it's going to wear down the Baltimore defense in the fourth quarter. And that's where I could see, like, possibly like A.J. Brown or Corey Davis maybe getting like maybe getting like a, a touchdown with like three or four minutes left. Or it could be Henry, you know, running it into the end zone. So who knows? Um, but, yeah, I, I think J.K. is going to have a day, though, too. It wouldn't surprise me if both of them go off for at least 100, if not 150 yards, depending on how much they actually run the ball. In which with the way that these offenses are – the way that the, off, the offenses are built on these on these teams – yeah, they're definitely going to run the ball more than they probably throw it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's going to be another good one. I still think that the Rams Seahawks game will be a little bit more entertaining, but right behind it, I got this Bears Titans uh, Bears Ravens Titans game. I sense a little bias in you with that with that Baltimore pick, simply because Tennessee's and that's in the, in you, that. you know like it, it, as much as I would like to admit that, and you know I never shy away from division <laughs> hatred, but I I. I don't think Lamar is going to lose three times in a row to the same team. He was embarrassed last year. And I mean, like, MVPC embarrassed. Mind you, it wasn't necessarily his complete fault because the defense couldn't stop Derrick Henry, but Lamar Jackson didn't play very well. Mm -hmm. You need to strategically understand whenever you play a team that is run heavy, like both, you have to stack the box and make the quarterback beat you. And I just think that Lamar Jackson at this point in his career, because of the dual threat ability, as Ryan Tannehill has showed too, with quarterback keeps yeah. and play action rollouts, he's been very, uh, you know, useful. Got a little but read option, a little read option yeah, there you go. 
there's 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 nothing in comparison to an electrifying guy that can turn a, a an 11 yard sack into a 28 yard gain. It's just that dynamic playmaking ability to me just gives them that advantage because of Tennessee's lack of quarterback pressures this season and Tennessee's ineptitude to get off the field on defense. So again, them having the last three games of experience or this being the third game they see. So they've pretty much faced Tennessee two times as if they were a divisional opponent in, in a year span. Divisional round last year, and they just played them a few weeks ago. And Tennessee hasn't really changed much on the offensive side of the ball. If John Harbaugh walks into this game and does exactly what I expect him to do, which is to coach a very good football game and to not take gambles, this can end up being a defining moment for Lamar Jackson's career. And who knows, maybe this can even catapult him into the AFC championship against Pat Mahomes. Confidence for young quarterbacks is tremendous. And I think that that's going to go a long way in this game. I know you're still mad about that about that field goal kick that Tennessee had when it hit the right upright against sliding into the next game of the Browns Steelers. I don't want to talk about it, man. I was watching that. I watched that field goal outside my girlfriend's glass door of her of her of her lanai. Like I had to watch it, and I had to kick off my slides because I didn't want to trip and fall into the pool. And I'm watching it. And when they iced them, I was like, all right, you know, I'm doing my pace. You know how I get, you know how I get antsy. You watch games with me. You know, I'll be like, I got to do my breathing. I got to like, you know, like squat and kind of pray to myself. And yeah, I got to say Musa a couple times a year. Yeah, just, I got to calm myself down. I got to get in my zone, my zen. I got to, I got to find that garden of peace. And I open my eyes and I saw that it curved and it hit the upright and then I'm waiting for the line judge because when you watched it the first time, I didn't know if it went in. I, I I just saw it bounce. I didn't know if it bounced down or bounced in. So I threw my arms up in celebration. And at the same time as my fist hit the air, the referees both went up right. And I just screamed at the top of my lungs. I was like, ah! So, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm still salty. But quick side note, like a lot of NFL players, vets, and uh, the community, as mad as they are, about the Eagles playing as bad as they did. I believe uh, Jabril Pepper said the right thing. You had 16 games to control your destiny, and the fact that you had to rely on another man's team to win you the division just goes to show how much you, you need to work harder. Or something to that effect, Jabril Pepper said it perfectly, and the fact that we didn't capitalize on our, on our fate the week before in Pittsburgh – that's what calmed me down the most because I was relying on a missed field goal to just go to overtime mm-hmm. to face the Baltimore Ravens. So as a Colts fan, yes, I was upset. We didn't win the division, but as a realist, I understood that that was our own fault. So I got over it relatively quickly. And you guys were the only team to lose to Jacksonville this year too. So once again, the Browns and Steelers game, uh this is the i I don't know if it's the first time in nfl history i don't think it is uh three teams from one division make the playoffs obviously this is the first time we have seven teams in a postseason so it it very well could be it helps it helps having having an extra team there helps so i mean obviously the ravens the browns and the steelers all play in the afc north all of them being literally a game apart baltimore and the browns are tied uh baker mayfield had a relatively solid season obviously losing Odell Beckham early in the season and losing Nick Chubb for eight games or or six games 
did not bode well. However, the Browns did lose a very crucial part of their defense. Olivier Vernon tore his Achilles, so they will be without him this week. And that is big. You know, you, you got to pressure Ben, and you, you got to find a way to disrupt him at all times. But uh, what do you think is going to happen with this game, man? I'm, I'm kind of torn. This is, this is my, my question mark of the week. Well, you know how you said um, that your game – that had like the biggest but like pot, like potential to have an upset was the uh, was a Seattle LA game. Yeah. This is mine. Just because I'll tell you this. I mean, at one point, now granted the Steelers were 12 and 0. But man, they it. finished the season horribly. I mean, they they honestly, they should be sitting at 11 and 5. The Colts should, I'm saying should have, and you you of all people probably know this best. The Colts should have probably beaten Pittsburgh. And then Pittsburgh would have probably went on to lose at least four games, if not five games in a row. Now, granted, they're sitting at 12 and four, and they're at the number three seed. So, and when you really look at a 12 and four, like if you had watched no football whatsoever, and you look at the fact that the Steelers are 12 and four, you would think, well, that's actually a pretty good year. No. Not the last month of the season. They have really not been playing well. We talked about this earlier. Big Ben has been he's had he's had moments this year, but you could tell that he is just not the same. And I don't know if he's going out there and, and doing what he can, but I, you could just tell like it, it's just it, it's not like he, it's not like he used to be. And I think looking at the way that the offense has really struggled to run the ball since, since the beginning half of the year, they've really had to rely on big Ben to make some plays. And I just think all the hits that he's taken over the years are are starting to finally add up. And I I think in his head, it's starting to get to him a little bit. So looking at this game though, I, I like Cleveland in this one. I think Cleveland has really, really surprised me in the sense that they were in, at one point had had Pittsburgh lost to Indianapolis last week. They could have, they could have had a realistic shot to possibly steal that division from the Steelers. Now, I don't know how it would have worked out with tiebreakers and such, but I love what Cleveland has done this year. They Baker has Baker has improved steadily throughout the entirety of the year. And even in probably the best game that I've seen all year from him, even though that they lost that game against Baltimore, he was outstanding in that game. He has been a great, a great addition for them. I'm just, I'm really happy to see the development from Baker and just the team overall. Now going into this game, I think it's going to be a close one. I think this is going to be a very, it's going to be a one possession game. I think it's going to come down probably within like the last five minutes of the game. And I think, the difference for me in this is I like I like Baker and the offense more than I do Big Ben and the offense. Now, the one thing that's gonna is obviously gonna be interesting to watch is that Baker matchup against that Pittsburgh defense. Now I've had Pittsburgh's defense on my fantasy the entire year, and they have been pretty solid throughout the entire year, but they have kind of waned off the last couple of weeks just because the offense is not producing the way they were in the beginning of the year. And it's definitely had an impact on the defense because the defense has had to spend more time out in the field than they did in 
the beginning part of the season. And I, I like what I, I, I'll say you this. I think, I think Cleveland is going to definitely run the ball with Nick Chubb here. I think Nick Chubb is going to get carries. Kareem Hunt's going to get carries. And I think that one, two punch between the two of them is going to be huge against the, the Steelers defense. And then if they're able to mix in some play action pass, I think he keeps the Steelers defense on their toes a little bit. And I think there's definitely some potential for them to really put up some points here. If the Steelers defense is not on their P's and Q's. So Cleveland gets all the receivers back. I know that they had that issue with COVID with their whole wide receiving core against the Jets a few weeks back. They have all the receivers back, so they should be good to go for that. I just like the momentum that Cleveland has had the last quarter, really, you could say probably like the last half of the season. And to me, I think Cleveland is really kind of hitting, they're hitting their strides at the right point of the year. And I just think Pittsburgh has it. And I don't know if Pittsburgh can generate enough momentum to curb Cleveland's and get this game. I think it's going to be a close one, but I think Cleveland wins this one. I don't know what the score is going to be. If I had to say like a score, I think it's going to be like 28-24, somewhere around there. That's what I was thinking. But, yeah, this is like my upset of the week right here. So, I – this is this is good content. Uh, I disagree. Um, I think that the veteran leadership of Big Ben. I think that him having last week off to like really rest, recuperate, like really lay back, uh, and kind of gather himself and really say, you know, like I need to play my best. I think that you know I have a great receiving core in Deontay Johnson, mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster. The coming out of Chase Claypool, um, I have a decent one-two punch. Nowhere near the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt punch, but a decent punch in Snell and Connor. Uh, Their rush offense has taken a massive decline in the second half of the season, but that is also because of the bad play of that offense lately. Uh, Ben obviously didn't have the best year in the world with him having uh, 3,800 yards, 65 completion percentage, 33 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Not bad for a guy that just had major elbow surgery uh, at the age of 38 years old, but also not the best that he's ever played. So, you know, it's funny how we talk about Tom and then Philip and now Ben, um, you can really see just how much better Tom Brady is at this point in his career. And he is the oldest of the three. So uh, again, to get back on track, I really think that Ben's veteran leadership, Mike Tomlin, him having the advantage in the postseason, um, and the inexperience of Baker in the postseason. I, I think that Pittsburgh's pass rush along with their, their secondary having to step up, I think that Pittsburgh wins this game, but I will match that score uh, 28-24 or 28-21. I think that Pittsburgh wins by a touchdown. Yeah, I, I'm solely basing this, like, basically, like, my prediction on momentum going into the playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I, totally, I totally understand the, uh, the point that you make about the playoff experience that Ben has had. And, and trust me, he has had, he's had – the, the resume speaks for itself. He has been in numerous playoff runs throughout the entirety of his career with the Steelers. It's just that that offense has really struggled the last couple weeks. Now, could they turn it around? They they did kind of show they did show some life against Indianapolis a few weeks back when they were down twenty four to seven. Now, can they sustain that? That's the question. 
and against Cleveland. Now, this is a divisional matchup. This is also going to kind of decide kind of like it, it could honestly, this, this game could honestly tell like the future of the AFC North it, just because the Steelers really have been kind of, they've really been kind of going back and forth between the, the Ravens for the last decade or so, but really uh, Cleveland could be that next team on the rise in that division. If the Steelers yep. are too careful. And I, I just, I think, I think the one thing that I like about Baker is that his youth and his ability to galvanize the players on the offense side of the ball and probably the, the, the whole team to a larger extent. I think it's infectious. I think it's definitely made an impact on this team. I'm really surprised that they're actually sitting at 11 and five. I was expecting maybe like a nine and seven at best. Maybe. I said eight and eight, nine and seven. That's what I predicted. So, to me, they have exceeded expectations, but they have really shown me over the last month or so that they can pretty much go up against anybody. And I think in this matchup, I think this is like the old, I think this is the new guard changing with the uh, cha- changing out the old. And I think, I think Cleveland is going it, to, it's going to be close. It, it's not like Pittsburgh's not going to fight for it. Pittsburgh's going to be in it. It's just that I like Cleveland just a little bit more simply because of the momentum that Cleveland has had for the last month, month and a half or so. And, and Pittsburgh has really been able to, has been kind of had an inability to really get momentum going on the offensive side of the ball for the last month or so. And I think they've just been putting too much pressure on their defense because of that. So that's why I got the edge for Cleveland in this one. Now looking at Pittsburgh's last five games of the year, right? Absolutely zero excuses here. However, it needs to be noted, Pittsburgh ain't play no scrubs like Tampa did the last five games of the year. They played three top 10 defenses to close out their season. The fifth game doesn't count because they benched their starters. So in their three, in their, in their last four meaningful games of football, they played three top 10 defenses. Washington slept on. I think Pittsburgh played down. Did they're it? one of the top, they're, they're one of, they're one of the best defense in the league. The well, Bills. You also have to account that I think Pittsburgh was coming off of like a three or four game, like a three or four day break. They didn't have like a full week going into that game. So I'll give a little bit of leeway for that. A little bit of preparation. Again, none of these are excuses, but people need to understand Pittsburgh fell. There's no excuse. They lost. That's the bottom line. But they weren't losing to random bums. Washington, playoff team. Buffalo, number two seed in the in the, in the in the AFC. The Bengals, that's the outlying factor right then and there. They should have absolutely obliterated them. Ryan Finley played the game of his life. And then you have the Indianapolis Colts, who was a top five defense pretty much throughout their integrity of the year. They played very, 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 very competitive teams. And again, outlying the, the Bengals, three playoff teams. They played them very aggressively. Ben needs to play better. The run game needs to play better. The defense needs to step it up. They did lose Bud Dupree the week right before against Baltimore. So they did lose a pass rush, a pass rusher. So again, the week off, they've seen the Browns. This will be the third time. Inexperience in the postseason with with Cleveland's youth. The energy of Cleveland's youth could be a a plus, but that giddiness, that overexcitement, we've seen young quarterbacks make plenty of mistakes in, 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 in in the playoffs. So... I give the edge to Pittsburgh because of the week off and because of the veteran leadership. And that's literally why I think that the Browns aren't ready to make that jump just yet. But I agree completely. The shift, the tide is here. 
I think that Pittsburgh, this is their last year of dominance. And by dominance, I mean of winning. And I think that now it's it's the Lamar Baker era. Like we saw in that shootout earlier in the season, that game of the year, I think that's what we're going to see a lot more going forward in the North. And, and, that, and, that's, and that's how I kind of see it as well. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be – this is going to be a great game, though. This, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a traditional AFC North battle. And yep. really, like, really the AFC North has always produced some great rivalry games between really all of the teams in the division as far as I'm concerned. Maybe Cincinnati not as much, but, I mean, really these teams across the AFC North have been really been able to provide us some great games, especially over the last decade or so between the – uh, the Steelers and the Ravens. I just think that right now with the way that things seem to be going, it does seem like that, that era of really Pittsburgh being at like, being at like the top of the AFC being like the top of this AFC supremacy. I think it is coming to an end unless they can find somebody to replace uh, big Ben after he retires. So that's how it sure as hell ain't Mason Rudolph. Mm. But I was happy to kind of see uh, him and Miles Garrett kind of uh, bury the hatchet. Yeah, exactly. It's what it's water under the bridges. I think, as far as I'm concerned, when I kind of saw both of those, both of those guys kind of uh, uh, accept what happened and move on from it. Agreed. Uh, and now this is the uh, this is the moment in time in which I kind of carry on and get into a very long breakdown of why I think the next game is going to be a very, not only intriguing football game, but a very emotionally stimulating game for myself. So the final game of the slate in the AFC is going to be the Indianapolis Colts at the seven seed against the Buffalo bills at the two seed. We have that game slated for one o'clock Saturday, Eastern time. So uh, before I even begin to get into this absolutely long and dreadful explanation of why I believe the outcome is going to be what it is. Uh, I would like to hear your opinion. No, man, you go first. This is your team that you're dealing with here. I'm just, I'm going to sit here and just watch the show. All right. So I had to change headphones because the AirPods were dying. Uh, you can only hear rich for so long. Shout out to, <laughs> uh, shout out to my girlfriend for introducing me to that quote when she got her AirPods. Um <laughs> The Indianapolis Colts. We are probably one of the most intriguing teams in the AFC for one of two reasons. One, we have probably the best defense in the AFC, in my opinion. I think that we have the combination of pass rushers. I think we have a great special teams unit. I think that we have a phenomenal secondary. And I really think that our linebacking core with its depth is also some of the best in the league with Darius Leonard leading the way as probably the best linebacker in football as of his performance in the last few months, solidifying his, his resume early in 33 games of football. I believe he, he equivalented that last week. He has Mac. He has created a resume of, I, I can't Hall even use the right. Like Hall of Fame potential. Exactly. 400 tackles in 33 games is incredible. And Darius Leonard missed a total of maybe seven games in his career already. So imagine if he did it. Besides the point. Two, I think that 
the adversity that we have overcome with Andrew Luck retiring, having the shitty season that we had last season with Jacoby Brissett, basically bringing back the, the exact same offense and adding two pieces in Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, who ended up showing out to be a very well candidate rookie of the year. Not that he's going to win it, but I think that he catapulted his way into the conversation. Third in the league in rushing. And the Colts all-time single-game rushing leader in history with 253 yards yesterday. Now, here's the issue. We are also one of the most inconsistent teams in the league. And it all hinders on our 39-year-old quarterback. Phillip Rivers needs to play damn near perfect to win this football game. My counterpoint to that counterpoint is our play calling has been some of the most questionable play calling I personally have ever seen in a season. Frank Reich is a brilliant offensive minded coach. He's a quarterback guru. He is an expert in play calling situations. I mean, look what he did in Philadelphia, carrying Carson and Nick Foles to a Super Bowl with that unique play style. But Frank, to me, tends to get lost in the moment. Frank is very, I'm going to showboat you. And again, this is all my opinion. I don't think that Frank is a cocky guy. I don't think that he is an arrogant coach. I think that his arrogance reflects on the field. And in our last four games, our last three games, no, Houston, Pittsburgh, and then Jacksonville, our last three games, we were up big against Houston we win that game by a defensive turnover. We win that game by seven. The la- the next game over, we go into Pittsburgh. We're up 17. We absolutely walk away from the run game. We lose that game by four. This last game yesterday, we're up 20 to zero. We damn near lose that game with Jacksonville surging in the fourth. If Jacksonville isn't Jacksonville, we lose that game. That does not bode well for me as a Colts fan. That doesn't bode well for the Colts as an organization going into the postseason, facing arguably, if not the hottest team in football in the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Not to mention, we have a 39-year-old, 40-year-old quarterback, basically, and Phillip Rivers going into 25-degree weather. I looked at the forecast, 25 degrees with 10-mile winds. This man, Phillip, is not going to be any lick of mobile. Not that he ever has been, but I mean... The, 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 the little crumbles of him trying to step up in the pocket, he's basically going to be immobilized. So this has to be a run-the-damn-ball moment. Jonathan Taylor needs to have 30-plus touches. Naeem Hines needs to be included completely in the second half of this, of this game because we always, for whatever reason, stop playing football in the second half. We've talked about it personally every single week the last month. We dominate the first half, and we turn it off in the second half. We're two different teams. My dad even said it. It's almost like Space Jam, where our powers just get ripped out of us. Our ability to play football, we just we, we look like two different teams. Our issue is we don't run the ball. We get lost in the confidence of the play calling of our coach, and our defense ends up getting tired because they're on the field way more than our offense is in the second half. To beat the Bills, drain the clock, rush Josh Allen, Limit the turnovers. That's the success to win. Do I think it's possible? Absolutely not. I feel like I just wasted my breath. I feel like the Bills are too hot. I feel like the Buffalo Bills, that offense is just firing on not all cylinders, on every single possible cylinder. Stephon Diggs is catapulted himself into a top three receiver conversation this year. 
123 or 124 receptions this season, a Bills record. No matter the no matter the position he is, he went from a head case or a problem in Minnesota, obviously their best receiver in Minnesota, to a inaccurate, uh, self-proven and a doubted first round pick in Josh Allen because of the inconsistencies in his accuracy of throwing the football down the field. And he got Stefan Diggs and they absolutely tore it up this entire season. 13 and three in the AFC East. That says a lot in terms of just dominating football as they have. So my prediction for the game, depending on what version of the Colts we get, I think that this game goes one of two ways. We start hot and we collapse, or we play consistent football throughout the entire game. So I think that this can be a Buffalo Bills, what they did to Miami yesterday, or this could be a a, a Colts-Pittsburgh kind of matchup where, you know, one team kind of dominates the first half and it's a matter of who comes back in the second because our defense has the potential to shut down a lot of offenses, and I think that we can compete with the better of the, the best of the AFC. But... If, if Phillip can't move the ball down the field and we don't run the football, this game is going to get out of hand very quickly. So I think that this game probably goes, I want to say 21-35 Chiefs, I mean, uh, Bills. Or if we can hold it together, uh, you know, 21-28 Bills. I still think that the Bills win no matter what. I don't think we're ready for this. I think Phillip Rivers is not the quarterback we need to have at this point in time in the, in the season. And I also think that uh, our inability to coach in the last month of the season has not helped us at all either. All right. That was a lot to take in. Um, I warned you. Oh, it always is with the Colts. So that I was not, I was expecting nothing less than that. So basically I have two, two trains of thoughts with this game. Um, like you said, I could kind of see this kind of being like the, the Pittsburgh game, just kind of like in, I don't want to say reverse, but I think the bills, I think the bills are going to be largely ahead in the game. But if Indianapolis's defense can step up and find a way to neutralize Josh Allen and that connection that he has with Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley as well. I think, I think they have an outside shot, but but here's the thing. I, I've got the Bills winning this one. I think my head is telling me that this game is going to be an absolute blowout. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that cold-hearted because I wanted. I want to give the Colts a chance because they have been. I'll say this: they have really found a star in Jonathan Taylor. I mean, really, like he gained almost a thousand yards rushing in like half a season. I mean, he has gone bonkers the last month of the season he has really stepped up and he has been just an absolute diamond for them as far as I'm concerned so I think if 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 the Colts are smart what they do is is they give that kid 35 carries and they slow the pace of the game down I think it's the only way that you're going to beat the Bills that's the only shot you have to get the only way that you're going to make this happen is you you slow down the pace of the game you eat up the clock, you own time of possession, and you just limit the amount of possessions that you give Josh Allen. I just don't think that, that that's going to happen. I just think that Josh Allen is too explosive. That offense is absolutely cooking, like you said, on every single cylinder imaginable right now. And if the Colts aren't careful defensively, they could get hung up for 50 points. It would not surprise me just because 
that that offense is so dynamic. And they honestly, it's been weird. They've been dynamic without really even running the ball. And that's yeah. the one thing that that's the one thing that, that has really surprised me because I thought at some point that they would make some sort of effort to run the ball. It's just been really Josh Allen. Like he is, I, I wish I had his stats up right now, but he's got to be up like 40 some touchdowns. He's probably thrown a couple picks, but a Josh Allen is just absolutely on fire right now. He, he's going to get some MVP votes just because of how well the bills have performed the entire year. And in large part, it's because, because of just his success at just throwing the ball. well. I got his numbers up here. If you want them, throw them out. 69% completion percentage, 4,544 yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 picks. And they rested him in the second half of last of yesterday. This is what his second or third year in the league. This is year three. Cooking. 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 Now, here's the thing. And this is the one thing that I fear about the Colts. And let's see Let's see if you know your history here. What was the last playoff game that Phil Rivers played in? Uh, I want to say the game against Lamar Jackson's rookie year, so two, three years ago. Was it that one, or was it when they played against New England in the in the divisional round, or did they? Oh, did right, they, they beat they beat Lamar. They beat Lamar. That's what I meant. The next game, the next game right after that, but it was that year, twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, one of those two. That that was the last game that I remember Phil Rivers playing a playoff game in. Yep, and it was it was in New England. It was cold, and they got annihilated. Annihilated, absolutely it was, embarrassed. It was, it was like it was it was over it was literally over at halftime like it was over before halftime it was 35 nothing it was like 35 7 at halftime it was ridiculous now do i think that it could be that bad potentially i think the one thing that's a little bit different here though is that there that indianapolis's defense is not like san diego's where they just lined up in seven dbs and said okay beat us this way and new england did that by literally just running the ball they didn't even – they ran the ball well, and then Brady – I think he only had one touchdown, but he threw for like 250 yards in like the first half because they made it pretty easy for him by not even disguising coverages or varying their coverages. So they said, seven DBs, beat us this way if you can. And they the, – the Chargers got absolutely torched. Now, with that said, going into this game, I don't think that the, the Colts defense is like that. The, the, the Colts will be ready for, for – Josh Allen. I just think it's going to be too much for, for them to handle. Um, if they're able to get some turnovers, though, the Colts could could keep could stay in it. It's just that I don't have a lot of faith that Josh Allen is going to have a really bad day. Um, I I mean, to be honest with you, I, I see Josh Allen throwing for like 300 yards, like 350 yards. Yep. More than likely. Although we do get Kari Willis and Rocky Sin back, I prefer Rocky Sin sit for the rest of the year or get cut. He's played horrible this year. I'm kind of trying to look up Josh's worst game of the year. And that was against Kansas city where he had 122 yards, a two touchdowns and a pick, but he only had a completion percentage of 51%. And then the next worst game was actually he had a, he had a couple of bad games. He just made up for it a lot. Oh, Jesus. 
He had 157 yards and a win against the Chargers with a 75% completion percentage with only one touchdown and one pick. And then he had against New England, he had no touchdowns, a pick, 61% completion 61% completion percentage and only 154 yards again in a win, but it goes to show against some of the more athletic defenses defenses is holy shit. But some of the more athletic defenses, he does tend to struggle. I mean, the charges are no easy, foe, uh, no easy foe with Melvin Ingram and, and Joey Bosa. And then obviously new England's defense earlier on in the year, we're still doing their thing. So, I mean, they're, they're, no, they're no scrub. And so they got absolutely got until they got the doors blown off in them just a few weeks ago when Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs hit up for like 150 yards and three touchdowns. Hey, it's I like at the beginning of the year for a reason, right? What's up? I said, I, I said at the beginning of the year for a reason, right? <laughs> just saying. It just kind of goes to show, though, like it, it's just that Josh Allen has been so hot and that, that connection between between him and Stephon Diggs is just absolute money right now. I, I, I would still say that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, that's the best wide receiver quarterback uh, duo in the league, just because like literally, like I, I honestly think that like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams think on the same wavelength. They like, they know exactly what to do in every situation that you could think of. It's just, they've been a model of consistency between, between that duo for, at least the last five years or so. But I think with the way that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have really linked up the, this past year, it has just been money in the bank. And I know this because I've had Stephon Diggs on my fantasy team the entire year. And the last game that I had him, he's got like 45 points. So I, I expect nothing less from – I expect nothing less from them. I, I think that the, they've just been rolling really the last couple of weeks or so. And I, I will say this. Like, I think Indianapolis – the only way that they win this game is that they slow the game down, run the ball with Jonathan Taylor, and just do not get just do not allow Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs to start clicking. If they do, and Diggs starts getting if he starts flossing on the sideline, it's trouble. It's trouble. Yep. So yes, sir. just that's how I kind of see this one. If I had to put up like a score, I'm gonna say like I'm going to say like 34 to like 21. That's what I said. But, I said 35, 21. But I, I could honestly see this one being like 45 to like 21. Yeah, it could easily be, like, could be blown out of proportion. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Indianapolis. I'm just – I'm giving credit where credit is due with the Bills' offense. They've just been – they've been outstanding. I, I, I was really surprised that the Dolphins gave up that many points with a playoff – with a playoff spot in the line. Dude. They give a, they give a 50 plus in a game that mattered. And the, it's just, I mean, you want to talk about a statement. I mean, yeah. that's one of the biggest statements that you can give to any team that's going to roll through Buffalo anytime soon. Just that was, that was impressive. What Buffalo did. Do I think that yes. they're going to do the same thing to the extent? I don't think so. But do they have the potential to get somewhere near that? Absolutely. Yeah, any just, any, yeah, any given week. Any given week. Yeah. My brother's a Dolphins fan. You know that. He told me that Miami gave up at half. He said that yeah. that punt return pretty much gashed their, their hopes and dreams. And then the inexperience of Tua Tungavailoa having to force the ball down the field with turnovers. Yeah, it just once the mindset of, damn, we just really fucked up that bad, kind of hit at half, it was like, screw it. It doesn't really matter anymore. 
I, I don't think I don't think it would have mattered if Ryan Fitzpatrick was in the game. I don't think it would have made any significant difference. I think I think with the way that that game transpired, I think Miami was probably going to lose that point, lose that game by at least 20, 25 points. Oh, a hundred percent. I was just yeah. saying it from a leadership standpoint, from uh, yeah. who's really going to rally behind a kid that's never really been in this predicament before, you know, versus if Fitz is there, Fitz can kind of try to find a way to rally the troops and get them in gear. He's been in the league damn near what? 15 years. Yeah. He's been in him for a while. So, you know, Ryan trying to get everybody around him versus Tua, not saying that Tua doesn't command the locker room's respect, but it's a little bit of a different variation when you have a vet saying it, you know? True. So before we wrap this up, what we're going to do real quick is we're going to go over some of the, the individual awards throughout the regular season. So we'll hit on the main ones The obviously the MVP will go over the, the rookies of the year uh, in the AFC and in the NFC, but let's start with the MVP. Um, obviously we have a pretty deep field of, of players that are, that are vying for the MVP. So, who do you have as the player that's going to bring home MVP this year? To me, it's, it's gotta be state farm, man. Aaron Rodgers absolutely took off this season. I mean, what, what, what do we have here? Aaron Rodgers had 4,299 yards led the Packers to the first seed in the, in the, in the NFC. He had 48 touchdowns an NFL league leading stat. And the NFL least in interceptions, he had five. In his last two seasons, Aaron Rodgers has a total of eleven interceptions. That's ridiculous. I just, I just think, I think that, like you said, the combination. I think he had fifty-one total touchdowns this year. Yeah, honestly, you honestly have to look this up for me. Look up what he did. Hold up, let me see this real quick. I, I have the stats have... right here. Okay, what's forty? I think he had fifty-one total touchdowns. I think he had 51 total touchdowns. He I think you, I, had, yeah, he had three rushing touchdowns this season. Yeah, okay. Okay, that makes sense. So I saw I saw something similar to Brady where he said he was 43 years old and he had 43 touchdowns, but I didn't account it's for three rushing, yeah. Yeah, so, dude, 70% completion rating, and he had, he had a quarterback rating of 121 throughout the entire season. Insane, dude. Like the Insane. interception, dude. The interception, the touchdown to interception ratio is damn near ten. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Outside, I think there was somebody else. I think Nick Foles and Brady had higher ones though, because I think like Brady, he had like twenty eight and two, and then Nick Foles had like thirty and three one year. Like just that 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 TD to that Chip Kelly year yeah i remember that year where nick foles had 40, that ball in year yeah 48 to 5 dude that is bonkers that's just yeah. ridiculous and his worst it, game of the year ironically enough was against tampa i know and that was a game i thought the packers were going to win by like a touchdown or two and they lost by 27 28 <laughs> Yeah, well, Rodgers threw two picks in that game, which was weird. Like, you don't see him throw two interceptions in one game. And no touchdowns. Damn, I didn't even realize Aaron Rodgers had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games with four touchdown passes. Oh. Wow. Let me finish up the year. He had that one interception against the Titans. But his last interception that he threw was against the Colts, and that was over a month and a half ago. 
Mm-hmm. So nice too, Rocky. I've seen jumping that route. Dude, but look at these. Look at this completion rating. Eighty-four percent completion against completion rating against the Titans. Uh, eighty-one against. The, I mean, the Falcons suck anyway. But yeah, the the only only game where it really stands out to me that he he sucked in was the uh, the Bucks game. Yep, forty-five. That was the only one percentage. That was the only one. Outside of that, and it was crazy because the the Packers actually started out hot in that game. They just couldn't do anything after the first quarter. But, I mean, just to kind of continue the trend, I, I got Aaron Rodgers in this one. He is just really just taking over. I, I originally had Patrick Mahomes up to about maybe two or three weeks ago. Yep. But Mahomes has kind of struggled. And, and Mahomes has been – Mahomes has had, a, has, had a, has had a great year. It's just that he has slowed down a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And – I mean, the, the most important thing for that for him probably is the fact that they're still winning these games. I mean, they finished off the season fourteen and two, and they rested pretty much all of their starters in the last game when it didn't matter. They already clinched number one spot. So, I think individual awards at this point for him probably don't even mean anything. I think it's just the most important thing to him was getting the number one C uh, for home field advantage in the playoffs. So, um, but Aaron Rodgers has just been he's been outstanding this year. I, this is this is one of the best quarterback performances I've seen in, in a very long time. It, it, it's up there as far as I'm concerned with one of the best years that a quarterback has had that I could ever think of. I mean, there, there's been some great years, but this is up there. This he had an outstanding year, 48 to to four interceptions. Wait, wait, five. 40, 48 to five. I almost said four. Um, that's just that's outstanding. I mean, the guy yeah, is I, 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 it's, it's just. You have to give it you, – you just have to give it up. That guy has – and the thing is, coming into this year, people were talking about Jordan Love being drafted by them. And then he goes out and performs and puts up 48 and 5 and said, watch and learn, young buck. It's like, it's like, But it's like I said, when they drafted Jordan, I said, this is going to spark a fire in this man yep. that no one is ready for. And what and the, happened? Boom. The, the the same thing happened when Brady had Garoppolo nipping at his heels, because Brady's job was 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 I won't I won't say threatened I won't say like it was like they were gonna switch switch players, but when they drafted when they dra- when they drafted Garoppolo and they saw the the potential that they had with him, Brady definitely took took notice of that and he went off and got an MVP out of it. So. Similar situation here. They draft a quarterback that's probably going to be – that could potentially be the quarterback of the future for the Packers someday. But as far as I'm concerned, not anytime soon. Rodgers is wrong right now. So. Yeah, bro, you, 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 people people going to mess around, and Jordan Love's rookie contract going to be over. Aaron's still going to be sitting there slinging up 35-plus touchdowns a year. I mean, look at Tom, 43 yeah. years old. This man, Aaron Rodgers, 37, bro. People were talking about Ryan Mallett. This is like almost. This is like five, seven years ago. People were oh, saying man, that Ryan Mallett, that Ryan Mallett could be the guy to replace Tom Brady, and then Brady went on seven more years. And I think Mallett ended up retiring before Brady even left the Patriots. Like, I don't want to say Jordan Love's like in that same situation, but I think Homeboy's gonna have to wait his turn because Aaron Rodgers is just—he's a man on a mission right now. So, and the biggest thing with them is that they finally have home field advantage. 
So one thing that Green Bay has kind of failed to really do with Aaron Rodgers when it comes to these playoff runs, especially like when it comes to these, these NFC championship games that he's been in, they've all been on the road. It's not going to be the case this year if he gets to the NFC championship game. So if they get to the NFC championship game, it's in Lambeau this time. And that could, that could potentially be huge because I'd be, uh, I'd be hard pressed to bet against Aaron Rodgers at home with a, with a Super Bowl on the line. That's, you know, with a possible task for any quarterback to come in, even Patrick, you know what I mean? Like come into Lambeau in January and you try to take this man out at home. That's a tall task for anybody, brother. Because I'll tell you this right now. Um, I don't, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for any, for any team to go up there and deal with that man. Especially that connection that he has with Devontae Adams. And you got to stop him too, because you guaranteed that Devontae is going to get 15 targets that game. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter who they play. Devontae is getting 15 targets. Devontae is going to probably get 10 catches for like 100, like a buck 50. There's no one in the NFC that can guard him. I'm looking at all of these teams and I'm thinking of their best corners. The best one is obviously Ramsey. Ramsey has the best chance, and even at that, I think that's a tall task. Like, Devontae Adams has, has soared, jumped in, dove himself into not only the best receiver in football this season, but the best route runner in football. Like, he just finds ways to get open. He, When Aaron extends the play, he always finds a way to pivot and find a hole in the defense. But you give that man any route on the tree, and he's going to run it to perfection. And he's probably going to leave the DB on the floor or somewhere looking around and say, where did he go? Because, man, Devontae Adams, since he's been in the league, has been a crisp route runner. And you know how in tuned I get with not only DB play but wide receiver footwork. Man, I love that shit. Him, Stephon Diggs, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, those boys, Devontae Adams blows them out the door, man. It's not even close. Amari runs some crisp routes, though. Yeah, but Amari likes to play half-ass until he gets the ball. I remember. So, he, I'll never forget that game against Stephon Gilmore last year. Homeboy had zero. He was literally he did nothing the entire game. But he didn't care. <laughs> but but Devontae, that that duo between him and Rodgers, that is just it's the best one in the league. Like you can't even compete. Like no, it's too it's it's, it's, it's crazy. Like don't get me wrong. Like I still think like Julio is like I I'm still in the mindset that you know even though that the Falcons aren't really anything special that I still am of the mindset that Julio is probably the best receiver in the league. Just, but I'm not, I'm not looking at that from production. I'm looking at like from like body of work. Julio has been outstanding, but like with the way that Julio hasn't been healthy. I know. And that's the thing. Like, but if you, I, I, let me ask you this game, game of their lives. Who you take a Julio Jones or Devonte Adams? It depends. Where are we on the field? Who's throwing the ball? Where are we? Like, it, it, it all depends. It really does. It's situational. If it's a jump ball, I'm going Julio. Julio's more athletic. If it's a, I need 10 yards, I need someone to get open possession-wise, yeah. it's going to be Devontae Adams. I got you. I think, 
Those questions are really hard to answer when you're talking to the general public and I'm acting like I'm some high reporter or some some analyst. But for people that don't understand the concept of football, situational football is very different than hypothetical. Well, who would you rather take to start a team? Like you can't really throw that out there without context. You know what I mean? Like it's different. It's different situations per receiver, per team, per quarterback. Like I, I can't just go and make a decision and not know what the hell's going on in the game. If I got the death beam pointed at my eyes, I got one second for a Hail Mary 80 yards down the field. No shit, I'm taking Julio Jones because he's got the speed and he's got the hops. But if it's within the red zone, if it's a possession, if it's a, I need to, I need to make a play, I need to be open, I'm going Devontae Adams. And, that, I, you know, I stick, I stick with that wholeheartedly. I feel you. I feel you. I, and, and like you said, it, it largely depends on the situation. I, I couldn't agree more. But uh, we'll move on to the uh, the rookies of the year. We'll we'll start with the uh, we'll start with the AFC first. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball, and then we'll talk about the defense. So, who is your AFC offensive rookie of the year? It would have been Joe Burrow, but obviously now the circumstances have changed with him going down in the ACL. Justin Herbert breaking the rookie touchdown record and coming in second in total yardage. Uh, Justin Herbert is the favorite by far. Don't even think it's close. Uh, I mean, w- the closest person I'm really looking at behind him would probably be, I don't know, James Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, James Robinson, obviously being out the last two weeks in Jacksonville, they found a stud. They got absolutely blessed and the kid did incredible things in Jacksonville. And we all know the, uh, the incredible star that Jonathan Taylor has turned out to be, but mm-hmm. you know, Justin Herbert definitely wins that, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm the same way. I think I will say this: like with the production that that Jonathan Taylor has had the last couple of weeks, he's definitely thrown his name in the in the discussion. I just think the body of work from Justin Herbert the entire year gives him the edge. I think if Jonathan Taylor was the start was like the starting running back from game one to game sixteen. I think then it's a, it's a much closer it's a much closer debate at that point, but I, I'll say this about Herbert. I, with Herbert, it's just it's just rookie experience. Um, he stayed healthy, which is a big thing. I know Joe, Joe Burrow did not have the same did not have the same fortune, but I think with him, um, there's going to be a, there's going to be a coaching change in LA. So I think. The big thing with Herbert this year is obviously like he's had, he's had some, he's had some solid moments this year, but there's been moments of inconsistency. There's been some, some down plays that you can probably look back and he, he probably like can go back in the film study and he can address those, you know, through practice. And then as he continues his career in the NFL, but I, I'm interested to see what happens with him with this coaching change. Now with Anthony Lynn, not being the head coach there, I wonder if there's going to be, somewhat of a change in the offensive identity for the chargers but but for a loop man but herbert's a stud herbert's a stud moving forward i mean i'll I'll say this like it's not like um it's not like everybody could be like mahomes like when they enter when they enter their first year as a starter they just take over the league it usually does not happen like that mahomes is one of those rare cases where somebody could just walk in their first year as a starter and they just absolutely annihilate the league. Justin Herbert's, you know, he's had his ups and downs the entire year, but overall 
I think he's definitely worthy of winning the uh, the rookie of the year offensively in the AFC, as far as I'm concerned. And then to flip it on the other side of the ball, we'll talk about the AFC uh, defensive rookie of the year. Who do you have winning that? See, that's where I am a little torn. Um, I'm, I'm looking here and I'm looking at, at, at these players and, and wait a minute, first of all, isn't it, um, just defensive rookie of the year and offensive. It's not broken up into conferences. I thought I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking like, who do you have as like the, the star rookie on the offensive oh. side of the ball, on the AFC and then on the defensive side of the ball? I got you. I got you. Um, uh, mine is up in the air between Patrick queen linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens and Julian Blackman for the Colts, man. I mean, both getting thrown into systems where they are replacing some some pretty solid players. I mean, obviously we had Julian Black. Uh, Julian Blackman was replacing Malik Hooker, who was a pretty solid player out of Ohio State. And unfortunate injuries have plagued his career, and he's probably taken his job. Uh, Patrick Queen, obviously coming in there, and he was replacing who was that? Uh, C.J. Mosley, who had left a few years prior. Uh, kind of like a big hole in that defense, a big anchor on that defense. Obviously, the shadow of Ray Lewis will always loom. And, you know, the, the linebacker central in Baltimore, but uh, Patrick Queen balled out. Patrick Queen showed that he can he can really do pretty much anything on that side of the field. He can rush the passer. He can be a, a cover linebacker. He can tackle uh, Julian Blackman on the on, on that side of the field also showed that he can create turnovers. He could also, you know, tackle very well in the backfield, make open field tackles and play very good in, in coverage. So if I had to give an edge, I would probably say. Uh, Patrick Queen, just because he's a little bit more diverse and playing so many different portions of the field. And uh, Julian Blackman is a close second, though, in my opinion. I'm actually surprised that you, you went with uh, Patrick Queen and not Julian Blackman, just because I, I think really by Julian Blackman, uh, he's been quite a surprise to me. Like you said, I mean, replacing Malik Cooker is definitely not an easy task, but I think he's, I think he's done fairly well stepping up, stepping into a, uh, a pretty difficult situation just because you know when you have like when you have somebody like Malik Hooker and Malik Hooker's had his injury issues I mean going into your rookie year you you got to be a, a stud defensively especially at the safety position so I, I I give him a lot of credit for that and I think let me ask you this just just uh, just for curiosity here like what was your what was your opinion of Blackman when they drafted him? So first thing I saw was I didn't know a damn thing about him. Obviously, coming out of Utah, I don't really follow – what is that, Big Ten, Big 12? Was it Utah? That's Mountain West. Yeah, you, that's, that's Mountain West. So that's, uh, that's Pac-10? I mean, that's Pac-12? It's either, it's either Mountain West or the Pac-12. It's one of those two. Because I know they play Nevada and Oregon. That's why I was leaning towards oh, Pac-12. Oh, yeah, it's Pac-12. Okay, so – I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this kid's film and I'm like, damn, this kid's pretty quick off the snap. This kid, this kid has good hands, but he's coming off an ACL injury eight months ago. We already have an injury prone safety in Malik Hooker. And we're sitting here, Kari Willis coming out of left field, taking that job uh, last year also from uh, George Odom out of Michigan state. And I'm like, all right. So we have basically four unproven safeties. One of them being the more injury prone person uh Kari having last season to have the resume so I said 
I don't really like this pick. I don't like taking injured players. It's just, it's, it's a very big gamble. Yeah, it was a third round pick, but at the time I'm sitting there looking, if you wanted a safety, we could have gone and taken McKinney out of uh, Alabama. He was available before Michael Pittman. And I was just, you know, I tend to question Ballard come April every year because I, I really think that in my mind, of course, I don't know anything compared to Chris Ballard. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know about this pick. I question this pick or this pick doesn't really make much sense. And the second Malik t- t- tore his Achilles, this kid came out there and he was playing like a three, four year vet. I mean, making great plays, forcing turnovers, capitalizing on defensive uh, uh, liabilities of people missing tackles and him having to save plays. I mean, for God's sakes, the man tackled Derrick Henry in the backfield for a loss of five in Tennessee in week seven. Like, right then and there, that was like, oh, shit, this kid is for real. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the man is a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. He does it all for us, and I think that he is really slept on. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I, I want to give it to him, but I'm trying to be unbiased just because Patrick Queen had to go in there into that already stacked Baltimore defense, and he made them that much better. I think I'm, I'm just looking at Julian Blackman's stats right here. And, I mean, he's got 35 tackles. He's got one forced fumble. He's got two interceptions, and he's got six passes defended against. So, I mean, when you look at, like, when you look at those stats, it's like, well, it's not that impressive just because it depends on who you're comparing it to. But coming into the situation that he was in, replacing somebody like Malik Hooker, and playing a serviceable role as a rookie. I don't think the Colts could have asked anything more from this from this kid coming straight out of Utah. I think off an ACL surgery. What's up? Off ACL surgery. I mean, I mean, good on him. I, I, and the and the thing is, you know, playing safety position, you, you need to have you need to have. Um, oh, what's the one word that I'm trying to look for? Recovery speed, especially if you're playing, you know single man safety you're playing uh two man uh, you're playing uh two man so um the best thing that i could say for him moving forward though is just is just keep on grinding um i like where he's going so far i think i think i honestly think that like to me like i think like him and like malik hooker are definitely probably going to learn from each other i think i think blackman is definitely going to probably take some tips and pointers from malik hooker it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I'm just I'm thinking of the relationship that they that they might have, even after Malik Hooker leaves or wherever wherever he goes. Oh, I was I about think, to say yeah, because Malik's contract is up after this year. We didn't give him a fifth year option, so he's he's I, gone. I, it's it's not it's not even that. I'm just talking about just the relationship in general. Yeah. So like, granted, you know, there's always a football relationship that you have with your teammates, but I think. I think even off the field, I think, you know, they can develop a, uh, a pretty solid, uh, I, I guess, like working relationship in that sense. But um, yeah, I'll, I'm going to give the Julian Blackman. I think this kid deserves it. So. And he's clutch. Over. He's clutch. Let's not forget those three turnovers, the forced fumble against uh, Scantley in the Green Bay game to, to go and lead us down the field and score the game winning field goal against Chicago. We were struggling against Nick Foles. Tip pass to Jimmy Graham, catches that, Colts drive down the field and score again. And in the Cincinnati game against Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's driving down the field. Seems like we can't make a stop. They're looking like they're going to win. Interception right in the 30-yard line to seal the game for us. So, if anything, 
the man is situationally a clutch defensive football player. For sure. So we'll flip it over to the NFC. We'll, we'll start with the offensive side of the ball first. So who do you have as your NFC offensive rookie of the year? Uh, this one's, this one's, it's not a tough one because he's just so good, but it's like, there's just so many talented players that came into the league this year, but Justin Jefferson really just came out there and he just showed out beating Randy Moss's all-time Minnesota record. And then I forget what the other record was. Uh, I think most yards by a rookie receiver in NFL history in one year. I don't mm-hmm. even remember who that who that record was by, but this man just dominated the league from 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 day one, where he wasn't even on the starting roster in terms of he wasn't even on the opposing side of Adam Thielen, to working his way up the death chart, to dominating every single corner that was in front of him. Yep. Justin Jefferson is definitely the favorite to win that. Like I remember, like we we were talking about this a couple of weeks back. And we, we were talking about, like, Justin Jefferson's, like, reception, like, yards per reception was, like, off the chain. Like, we, we, we were talking, like, he was averaging at least, like, 25 to 30 yards per catch. Like, his stats, like, were ridiculous. Like, you look at stats like that, you think, like, oh, this guy's been in the league for, like, three or four years. You might think somebody's, like, oh, it's, like, DeAndre Hopkins or, or somebody, like, on that level. And not a rookie. I mean – he has been sensational the entire year. And look, I had Adam Thielen on my fantasy team, and I thought he was going to be a really great pick. I didn't think that Justin Jefferson was going to not only match but exceed him as well. And really, you could you could arguably say that he is the number one guy, the number one receiver in that wide receiving core right now. I think that Adam Thielen, obviously, just based off of experience and just his his stature in in the wide receiving core of that team, he's always going to be kind of looked at as like the number one guy, just the, the more reliable target. But Justin Jefferson has, has balled out the entire year. He is, I, I had an idea. I had a sense that he was going to have a, a decent year. I just didn't expect him to literally break like all of these records for rookie receiving, especially the, the Randy Moss record. Like that just, it's crazy. Like, t- it's, it, it must be something with, with just Minnesota rookie receivers <clears throat> where they just pop off for, for some reason, whether it's Randy Moss or freaking Justin Jefferson. And I mean, I know homeboy's going to be just hopping his way into the end zone, doing the gritty every time he does it for, for the foreseeable future, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, to me, like the, the NFC offensive rookie of the year, like for me, is, is fairly easy. It's, it's, it's Justin Jefferson. It's not even close. And he's going to be an absolute monster down the road as far as I'm concerned. Yes, sir. 88 catches, 1,400 yards even, 15.9 yards per reception, seven touchdowns, and here's the best number for me. For me, this is the best number. Two drops. That's it. That's big. 125 targets, two drops. That's big. Especially, you know, when you're first coming into the league, if you're able to at least – if you're able to at least build the 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 idea that you're a reliable target and you don't drop passes that you're supposed to catch, you're going to make it a long way in the NFL. That's that's a fact. So, you know, he's he's going to be a monster as far as I'm concerned moving forward. And then um, 
the last uh, the last rookie uh, category we'll talk about is um, is going to be the uh, the NFC Defensive Rookie of the Year. Who do you have for that? Come on, man. Yeah. The predator, the predator himself, Mister Number Two Overall Pick out of once again, what school he go to? The Ohio State University. Damn it, Tyree! You got your boys out here speaking the prophecy. This kid is a freak of nature, intensity, strength, speed. He is the entire package, and he'll be dominating the NFC East for the for a decade plus if Washington keeps him. Yep. Chase Young is probably the best, I don't even know, one of the best picks Washington's had in a long time. And he has lived up to it in every sense of the word. I, I, I mean, it, I mean, I'll mean, i tell you this. You got to be careful talking about Brady like this, though, talking about I'm, I'm ready for Brady. Like, I'm coming he's for chill. it. Yeah, he's, he's got to yeah, chill. He, he, he's got to relax. Because I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember Kevin Byard? on the Titans was chirping the same way. We're going to make, uh, Oh, the safety. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're going to make Brady look like, uh, Oh, who was the quarterback that he was comparing him to? I forget who, who he was comparing Brady to, but it was, it was super disrespectful. And then I think they, uh, they put Gronk on him. And then I think Gronk had like eight catches from like 150 yards and like two touchdowns when they matched up on him. So I think, I think Chase Young's going to be, going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more, uh, smart before you uh you know unleash the beast and tom brady mm-hmm. because uh if brady goes off they're gonna be looking at chase something like dude what were you saying like what were you like what were you thinking but as far as like the nfc like defensive rookie of the year as far as i'm concerned it's chase young it's not even close i mean th- this dude is a monster he's going to be he's going to be it just the future for that defensive and position on that team first, as long as I can see. Um, yeah, the only thing I can really say about him is he's just got to be careful with talking about Brady, because Brady, yeah. Brady, Brady's the type of guy that's like, "Yep, I heard what you said, young buck, and I'm gonna let you know about it." And I'm gonna hang up 350 yards and three or four touchdowns on your defense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got yeah. we got four passes deflected, four forced fumbles. Three fumble recoveries, one touchdown, seven and a half sacks, 32 solo tackles, 44 total tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, and 12 quarterback hits. He lived it up. And yeah. he's first team all pro and selected to the Pro Bowl. Yep. Easy. This is a slam dunk. Raw. Raw. Now, uh, the last, um, the last, um, I guess like individual award that we'll talk about uh, is going to be the comeback player of the year. Um, there's a few candidates that I've had in mind, but to me, they're it, just in my mind, there's only one, but I, I want to see who you would pick first. So I know what the crowd favorite is for sure. The crowd favorite is obviously going to be Alex Smith, Alex Smith overcoming what we talked about earlier. I don't know, a multitude of surgeries, potential amputation, loss of a leg, infections, yeah. you, you name it. Everything medically went wrong, and he's still in the league. And, of course, the first game he comes back, Aaron Donald piggybacks him. And every announcer, every coach, every every teammate and person in the world watching that game just said, please just go down, let that leg hold up. And that just right then and there showed 
that is probably one of the strongest human beings on the face of the planet to overcome that fear of that first hit, overcome those surgeries and those nights and those restless, painful, probably awful days of just saying, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore for him to come back to this team and, 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 and assist and lead them to a division title. We know that the NFC East wasn't exactly a competitive division this year and we know that his play didn't single-handedly carry them it was a combination of a, a lot of things but for him to be a part of this and be that veteran in the locker room to say we got something special here if I could do it you can do it to me that's why he's going to win it but if I'm being objective and I'm actually being statistical I would probably give it to Ben because Ben Roethlisberger is coming off of his throwing arm elbow surgery and he went out and, and threw 38 touchdowns and basically a, a whole new offense with players. He's hasn't played with what, what Juju was the, 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 the veteran, the, the Deontay Johnson had had what a couple of games under his belt. Chase Claypool came out of nowhere. Eric Ebron was new. You know what I mean? Basically a, a whole new team. Mm-hmm. And he led them to a division title and he led them to a, uh, a 12 and four record. So, I mean, if, if I had to be objective, I would want to give it to Ben, but I know that the story and the and the, and the and the the path it took is going to make it Alex Smith. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I, it was to me, it was only between those two guys. I, I don't think there was really anybody that I I, I would consider um, for comeback player of the year outside of those two guys. Here's all I'll tell you this: my heart tells me Alex Smith, my head tells me Big Ben. Yep, same. So it, it's you know when I look at the entire totality of this season. I would have to give it to Big Ben. Statistically, he has the edge. They're a better team. They have a better record. And even though that both teams won the division, I put a lot more stock and faith in the Steelers than I do the Washington football team. Just and and it's not it's not a detriment to Alex Smith. It's just that it's a style of play that he he does. He's a very conservative quarterback. I mean, there was a stretch in time where he was in KC where he even threw it to a wide receiver for a touchdown for like. I think it spanned more than what a year. It yeah, was a I while. think four, 14 or 15 weeks where he uh, receiver didn't have a touchdown. Yeah, like some ridiculous like stat, but he's he's been he's been a solid quarterback and Big Ben is is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I I, I think looking at the circumstances though, you kind of have to give it to Alex Smith because you're talking about a, a guy like you said was this close to getting his leg amputated from all of the surgeries and the infections that he had to deal with i mean i i i give people pause on seeing the photos of alex smith's leg i remember they showed it i think it was like on uh oh what it was like it was some like espn uh special that they were doing on him and they showed a picture of his leg like this was after all the infections uh that he had and all the complications that he had from surgery i mean it looked like like the entire back part of his leg, like basically like from where like his calf is like up to like his kneecap, it looked gone. Like it looked like it looked mangled beyond repair. And yet to go out there and win a division title for your coach, who is also dealing with his own personal battles as well with cancer. I mean, circumstantial, I give it to Alex Smith. Performance wise, I give it to Ben. If if you just had, if, if I'm just going to pick it up straight up, I'm just going to go with Alex Smith just because 
the, the circumstances that he came back from are pretty much unlike any court uh, outside of like, I've never seen anybody kind of come back from something like that. Players have come back from injuries. I don't think anybody's ever come back from like possible amputations. Maybe yeah, outside no. of uh, outside of like JPP. Yeah, but he only well that was because of his own doing. That yeah, no, agreed. I'm, but I'm I'm trying to think of like lost limbs. Like I see where you're going with the Shaquem Griffin thing. Yeah, yeah, because he lost his he lost his um. But that was I think that was that was his birth. He had yeah, that. He was born with that. Yeah. So, I mean, the adversity to just make it to the NFL with only one hand that by itself is just outstanding. Incredible. But, but yeah, just just for rookie of the year this year, not rookie of the year, comeback and player of the year. I'm going to give it to Alex Smith. It just you got to give it up to him. Um, offensively, they're not the greatest thing, but they they won their division. It was good enough to get in the playoffs. But I got I got to give Alex Brandon a lot of credit for that. He is a much more of a man than I am. If I had an injury like that, I would never think about going back on a football field. And the fact that he he had the balls to go back out on the field after something like that, man, that dude is that dude is a man of steel as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, man on on and off the field because you know he had to put his wife and kids through <clears throat> the ringer. You know they have them having to deal with daddy and then the hubby going through all of that pain and then that trauma. So I, I give it to him, man. That that man overcame everything that no human being wants to go through. Yeah, and I and I always I always literally kind of like I always like tense up like when he hits like he gets tackled on that yep. leg like I just, I just I immediately just like tense up I'm like oh my god like is like is his leg gonna snap again it's just like you're it's constantly a fear with him and I, I mean to be honest with you if I'm his wife I'm like it it must petrify her when he's out in the field oh my Especially god when he went out that girl first. don't like, sleep she don't sleep yeah like and I I don't blame her I wouldn't blame her one bit. I saw my husband's leg like that. Yeah. I'd say I would never touch a football field again after seeing my leg like that. No way. Word. We got enough money, honey. You don't need to play. Like, chill. That's 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 where my mindset would have went. Because, I mean, at that point, like, they're well off. I think their kids, their kids are going to be well off. I, trust me. They're going to be just fine after he's done playing football. But – Give that man respect for coming back under probably one of the greatest injury, one of the worst injuries that I've ever seen. You know, there's been some bad ones. That one is really up there. So give that man respect. Amen. uh, Amen. But with that said, that'll pretty much wrap it up here. Is there anything that you want to, you want to discuss before we, uh, we call it quits? Absolutely. So I got three questions for you. It's going to be like a spitfire round real quick. All right. Yeah, sure. What is the most shocking off-season potential move that you see coming? Whether that's a trade, a draft pick, anything of the sort. Two, what do you believe is going to be the outcome in Philadelphia with that whole situation of all of that personnel being possibly changed and rotated around? And three, what's up next for your boys, man? What's going on in New England? In any order you want. All right, we'll, we'll start with the most shocking thing or, like, the most, like, kind of, like, potentially surprising thing. Uh, I've seen some rumors that Urban Meyer might get a $12 million deal to be uh, the coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Um, Please no. I don't think that he's worth $12 million. No, but Jacksonville's desperate. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that they parted away with Doug Marone. I think it was time. I think it was overdue as far as I'm concerned. But um, you, you know what I think the, the, the most interesting thing or the, like the most like shocking thing will be? I, I honestly think it, it's going to be oh, – but there's so many, though. Like, there's like a bunch that I could think of off the top of my head. It, you know what would be surprising to me? If Bill O'Brien ends up back as a coach. That is the – Really? If he, uh, well, I'm not saying as a head coach. I'm talking about just a coach in the NFL. He's not. Nick Saban's recruiting him to go to Bama. You didn't see the report this morning? I didn't see it. So, yeah, because Alabama's just, offensive coordinator is interviewing places too. I'm just saying, like, that would shock me if he somehow ended up back in the league after that debacle that took place in Houston. So, like that, that's how I, that's what I'm kind of basing it off of. I'm not basing it off of just like I just I don't see it happening. It would absolutely stun me if some team were to take some sort of risk on him. If they were that desperate for a head coach that they pick him, that would that would surprise me. Okay, so, I see where you're going with it. Now that you're breaking it down like that, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so like that that's how I kind of mean it. Like, um. But it's like shocking. Like, are you talking like like a trade or like a like picking like a like a draft pick or something? Like, and bro, anything a head coaching situation where 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 somebody gets hired. Uh, obviously, where there's like seven head coaching vacancies available. Uh, Dak Prescott landing somewhere else in free agency other than Dallas. Carson Wentz getting traded. Matthew Stafford ending up on the like like anything, bro. Um. This is why I asked the question. I like random things like this. I like making my brain think. You want to Cam Newton retiring? That would surprise me. That would surprise me. I know well, he has. I, 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 I know he didn't have the best year. Um, I I think COVID probably hurt them, uh, hurt him, simply because they didn't have because they weren't able to establish. Uh, an off-season training program with him, and New England kind of picked him up uh, later in the summer. Um, I'm going to tell you this: like, I, 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 I want to see Cam thrive. I think that some team will pick him up, but there's a part of me where I want to see him in the league, and then there's a part of me that thinks that he could potentially retire just because. I don't think he can do it anymore. He can't throw. And you could really see that that shoulder surgery that he got has literally, I I forget which side he, like which side that he throws to that he struggles with. I think it's, I think it's throwing to his, I want to say it's throwing to his right that he struggles with, but I could be totally wrong on that. So don't quote me on that, but it, it, it would shock me to see Cam Newton retire this year. That That's something that that could potentially happen. I don't foresee it happening, but it, it, it would really – I think it would shock the NFL community at large if he retired. 
because I think there are probably some people that still think that he, there's some teams that are definitely going to look at him, but, um, strictly as a backup though. That's something that that I could really see as like shocking the NFL community, Cam Newton retiring. Okay. Next question. Okay. Number two was the Philly one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What you think is going on, man? Is Carson on the way out? Is Zach Ertz on the way with him uh, after the press conference this morning with the entire Philadelphia staff? It was led to believe, at least in my opinion, amongst other professionals, that Zach's last question and how he answered it did not really make it seem like he was going to come back. You know, you know, it's kind of funny because like when you asked me the whole surprise thing, like I thought of like 10 different things. One of them was Carson Wentz ending up on Indianapolis. That was one of them. And the reason why is that, is that, is that relationship that, that Frank Reich have. And when you look at Carson Wentz, the year that he thrived, the year that he thrived, the year that he looked like he was going to win the MVP until he got hurt. It was Frank Reich. He was running the offense. So, that, that's something that could also potentially surprise me. But as far as I'm concerned with Philly, they need the clean house. After that, after that performance, um, I'm not going to be of the mindset that uh, – I'm not going to say that Giants fans should be pissed. At, I mean, the Giants fans could be pissed at the Eagles all they want to, but the Eagles don't owe them anything. If the Giants, mm-hmm. if the, if the Giants, want, to be, if the Giants fans want to be pissed off about something, they should be pissed off at the fact that their team only won six games – and the team itself should be pissed at itself that they only lost. They only won six games in a division where the winner only won seven games. They have nothing but to blame themselves, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to hear a lick about oh that the Eagles should be ashamed of themselves from any Giants players. If anybody should be mad, it's it should be at themselves. You went six and ten. They, they went like six and ten right in that division. Yep. That was a winnable division. You couldn't even win eight games. You couldn't even make it to five hundred. So, but with Philly, as far as I'm concerned, what, what, what Doug Peterson did last night was it was a disservice to Philly. To the, to the NFL, to the league period. Yeah. Like, like it, that was disgraceful. Uh, listen, there, there had been, there had been some, some, I remember uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, uh, they had like a, a, a pregame, like um, talk with, uh, with, um, with Doug Peterson, this was probably like this. This was probably like the week leading up into the game, and he had mentioned, and, and Peterson had mentioned the fact that that Nate Sudfeld could see some potential snaps. So he did mention that, but it, those guys are out there competing for sixty minutes, and it was a, a fairly close game. Three points. You're going to let Nate. You're going to let Nate Sudfeld. Replaced Jalen Hurts, which, by the way, Jalen Hurts was not having the best game either. He was no, only like seven to twenty, seventy-two yards. Not enough to get benched like that, though. But yeah, like this was not this was not like I've seen a lot worse performances from quarterbacks where they get benched in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't think Jalen Hurts was at that point yet. So, I, I to me, it's disgraceful. That's what I'll say about the the coaching decision that Doug Peterson made, as far as I'm concerned, it's a fireable offense. You don't just, you don't just tank games like that, especially when you're competitive. I'll say this, even though Jacksonville won 1-15 this year, even though the Jets 
went two and 14 this year. They were competitive in some of those games. It's not like they just, I, I understand that obviously they were probably playing for the quarterback of the future. I get that. But those guys still went out and competed. It's not like those guys said, okay, we're going to lose by 45 points and, you know, we're just going to call it a day. We're going to lose every single game that we play in. Like, if you're, if you're like Carson Wentz or you're like Zach Ertz, you, you, those guys have Super Bowl pedigree. In the, you know, I know Carson Wentz didn't win the Super Bowl, but to, to have the season end like that, I mean, no wonder why freaking Carson Wentz, uh, Kelsey, and uh, Zach Ertz were literally on the field till one in the morning. They were ta- probably talking about all that bullshit they were, that freaking Doug Peterson was probably talking about after the game. I honestly... If I'm Doug Peterson, I don't even know how you look at your own team with the decision-making that you did at the end of that game. That was just – that was just disgraceful. Like – and I guarantee you, if anybody's pissed off more, it's probably the Philly fans, knowing that they probably could have won that game. I know that it was inconsequential for them. They were already out of the playoffs. But it goes against everything – it goes against the entire essence of – football you play to win the game and Doug Peterson single-handedly said f that I'm just gonna just give Nate a couple reps and that's it I don't care about this game you just don't do that that's how that's how I honestly feel it's it's just it it's a fireball offense as far as I'm concerned yeah I, 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 I can go into this for the next 20 minutes and I'm not going to. I think that Doug needs to be fired. I think that 100% that is like he lost the locker room. If I'm a player on yep. this roster, I think I don't, I don't want to play for you anymore. Yeah. I just don't. Do I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't look at a coach in the face yelling at me to try my hardest or trying to get on me to be a better player. And you're sitting here and you gave up on us yep. to give him reps. Nah, like no disrespect to Sudfeld. I don't know from a hole in the wall. I don't really give a shit. The man didn't suit up not once, maybe two times all season. All fucking season he was a healthy scratch. You sit Carson, don't suit him up. And you put in a guy that hasn't played a single rep all year. And that was and that was that's a that's a shot. By not even not even suiting up Carson. 100% Carson deserves to leave and Carson should hold his head up high because that team did not do him any justice. No, that, I mean, the way that, the way that that organization has been run ever since they won the Super Bowl, it's just, been, they've been going downhill. And I honestly think I, I'll never forget this. I remember Orlando Skandrick was talking about this team a few years back and saying that that team was still living off the Super Bowl high. And they, I remember, I forget who said it. it was some offensive lineman. I shouldn't know the guy's name. I, it's just, I, it was, was it wasn't Kelsey, right? It was Lane Johnson. Like, remember, Lane Johnson said, "I would rather, I'd rather have fun winning one Super Bowl than be miserable winning five." Talking about the Patriots, so you having fun now? You having fun now? When basically your whole team's falling apart, and you're just basically there for the check at this point, like. Yeah, you read what you sell. The Eagles have just they, – they have lived off that Super Bowl, and and ever since that team has just looked – they just – they've looked bad. And now basically the whole team is falling apart. You, got, yep. you, you, you had potentially 
you know, a quarterback for the future, you don't have an offensive line that can protect him more than anything. I mean, no wonder why the guy was freaking – I mean, don't get me wrong. Carson did not play well this year. I guarantee you a large portion of that is on the offensive line for not even protecting him. So, if I'm Carson, I get the hell out of there. If I'm Zach Ertz, I get out of there. Th- that – Philly is a dumpster fire right now as far as I'm concerned. Until they address the head coaching uh, situation there, I wouldn't want to play for Philly. Who would? Dude, and they got they got money tied up, and people, boy, they got Carson getting thirty four million if he's they gotta like get, they they got to get his contract off the books immediately. But the the dead cap money if they cut him is fifty fifty nine million dollars. What was he guaranteed? Guaranteed money this season twenty five. No, 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 no. For for the, the length of his contract, over a hundred. Oh my god. So, so they got Carson locked up to 34. Fletcher's getting paid 24 this season. Alshon Jeffrey's getting paid 18, and he played a total of, like, three games this year. Zach, Zach yeah. Ertz is getting 12. Lane Johnson's getting 17. Deshaun Jackson's getting $10 million. Oh, my God. And the list goes on. Brandon Graham is getting seven. These people, Malik Jackson, 13. Darius Slay, 15. They're locked up so bad, they're in bankruptcy. In Monopoly, they would have no They would have no gonna, property. They're going to have to gut the entire team. Mm-hmm. Now, Alshon and Malik Jackson did agree to contract negotiations like uh, restructuring today. I don't know exactly what those numbers are. This is just going off of uh, the latest reference as of last week that I have. But the Eagles are tied deep financially and each of the players that i listed if cut before june 1st are gonna make they're gonna eat money like they're gonna eat dead cap space and it's gonna be bad so philly is a dumpster fire right now as far as i'm concerned financially and roster wise yes philadelphia does not look good to bode well for the next few years especially because the giants are trending in the right direction with joe judge uh if Washington can find a competent quarterback that isn't Alex Smith, no offense, uh, they'll be pretty solid with the roster that they have. And then obviously if Dak Prescott comes back healthy and signs the extension with Dallas, that offense is, is quite explosive. So, I mean, the NFC East looks pretty relatively average, excluding Philly. Which yeah, is sad because, you know, I'm, you know, I am dating an Eagles fan. Well, she could probably pop off more than any of us could. Well, Maybe maybe you could match her on that, but I mean, I, Philly is Philly's in trouble. They're in real trouble right now, and I I I'll tell you this right now. I think um, I think Doug Peterson was supposed to have a uh, a meeting with the owner either today or tomorrow. I th- I forget which day it's supposed to take place. Um, the my first question to him be. What the hell was that? Last, what the hell was that? The last game, like, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, because here's the thing: it's not only disrespectful to the, it's not disrespectful to like the like to the fans and the management. It's disrespectful to the players. You, you go out like those players are going out there giving everything that they got to win the game, and you pull you pull a stunt like that. When the game is actually within reach, that you could actually play spoiler to knock. Washington out of the playoffs, and you can put the Giants in. I mean, you just go out there and play to win the game. It doesn't matter if 
you're not going for the playoffs anymore. You just go out there to compete to win. And that is just, that's egregious as far as I'm concerned. It's a cardinal sin in football. You just do not do that. Yep. So, so where do you think he ends up? I know we could keep talking about this, but I know that we've been going for two and a half hours. Who, Peterson or Carson? Carson. Where do you think Carson ends up? Team's got to have money. Um, Indy. Indy could could be a team. Uh, we got to see what happens with Chicago. We got to see how this little Mitchell Trubisky thing goes. That's a team that could be looking to change quarterbacks. Um, yeah, that's, that's a whole that's a whole different situation. I know they didn't pick up his fifth year option either, so I know for a fact that uh, they're going to have a, a vacancy. And I know Nick Foles is going to be eating up cap on that roster as well. So you know, it would be a great Chicago team for him to go to. Chicago could, could be a spot where New Orleans, if Drew Brees retires. That would actually fit, but I don't think New Orleans has the money either. New Orleans is tied up with Alvin Kamara's contract, Michael Thomas's contract. Yeah, but how much is Drew Brees getting paid? Uh, probably upwards of high twenty million. Yeah, I mean, if they could be, if they could work that out, they well, I wonder if they could renegotiate. I wonder if they could uh, renegotiate Carson's contract. There were rumors. I think, I don't know if it was yesterday or this morning that came out. I saw something about, so Carson would pay $20 million out of his pocket to reimburse Philly so that the dead cap hit wouldn't be as hard. But the trade suitor to whoever gets him would have to give him an extension upwards of $20 million or more to replenish that. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, it, it it doesn't make sense, like logically. Um, but Philly is, I if if those rumors are circulating, I would assume that means Philly is trying to find a suitor that's willing to absorb more of that contract than they are, and that's he's gonna not be going hard, to New man. England. He's not going to New England. I can tell you that New England's not going to show up that type of money for him. No way. No. No way. Um, Tennessee's good. Um. I don't think Atlanta's going to move on from Matt Ryan. Pittsburgh. I don't see that, I don't see that happening. Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh will be closer to home. Oh, shit. Dallas beat the Rockets 33, uh, 113, 100. Oh, there you go. Luca so triple double. <laughs> what was the last question that you asked me? Uh, let's try to keep this one short because I know you can do this one for at least an hour. What's going on in New England, man? Y'all got no quarterback on that roster to help. You got no receivers, and contracts are expiring for a lot of people. What what you're, what you're seeing, I think, in New England is New England has done this probably better than anybody. Is um, they've been able to replenish the older talent with the younger talent, and they've been able to kind of groom the younger guys as the old guys are coming out so that when basically like the older, the older guard per se is on the verge of retiring, the younger guys are ready to step up and take that role. What you're seeing here in new England is what I think most teams go through. They, they have a run and then they rebuild. And what you're seeing right now is, is you're seeing the rebuild. This this is it. I think Patriot fans are just going to have to accept the fact for the next couple of years, it is going to be, 
is going to be rough. Um, if they fix the quarterback situation, I think that helps. But defensively, they are they are getting older because Devin McCourty is reaching the end of his career. Jason McCourty is reaching the end of his career. Stephon Gilmore is on his way out. He, there's no way that he is staying next year. They will likely trade him. Um, so you're going to see some guys step up. Um, they did add Adrian Phillips. So he, he's been, he's been decent this year, but he is, he is kind of older as well. So he does have a limited shelf life as well, even though I could see him potentially staying around a little bit longer. Um, and then offensively, the offense is a dumpster fire outside of, outside of uh, Damian Harris, who, who has been a solid running back for them this year. He has really, I think, stepped up uh, when Sony Michelle was hurt. And moving forward, I think um, I think Damian Harris and Sony Michelle are going to be the one-two punch in New England because you could actually see James White uh, be on the way out as well. It would not surprise me if this was James White last season in New England as well. Um I don't think coaching is really big of an issue here. I think it's largely personnel. I think, I think the coaching is, is, is not the issue here. Um, I think it's largely personnel. It's, um, it's, it's trying to, to develop young guys on the offense. And I think offensively, one thing that they're going to have to do differently is um, they're going to have to bring in some talent at the receiver position because it is just not going to cut it. The tight end Hell position. Yeah. The tight end position has been an absolute abomination. There, 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 there hasn't been a tight end position for New <laughs> There has not been a position. Nobody has filled in that role since Gronk has left. Nobody. I don't care if it's Ryan Izzo or these new guys like Dalton Keene or Devin Asiazi. I mean, Devin Asiazi had his first catch of the season against the Jets the other day, and it was a touchdown. It took the entire year for him to get a catch. And then it His happened to be Ozzy Ozzy. That says a lot. Yeah. So they obviously need to develop those guys extremely quickly. Um, Nikhil Harry looks like a bust. Um, he can't separate. He something he's gonna have to listen. One thing that he's gonna have to do is I think he's gonna have to lose some weight. Because honestly, I don't think he's I don't think that the weight that he's built. He, he's not going to be able to get off of guys. It's either that or he's going to bulk up and do something because he's, he's not going to be that. a DK. You can't be built big like that. Not everybody yeah. can do that. It, it, I mean, at this point, though, I give him to kill Harry one more year. And if he can get it together, he's done. Cut. I would cut him. If he, if he doesn't get it together next year, you got to cut him. Obviously, the quarterback position, they're going to have to address this offseason. More than likely what I see them doing is probably drafting somebody because I don't think they have enough cap space to actually bring somebody in or they had to have to trade for somebody. You don't think they would try to bring in Matt Stafford, someone who's lost pretty much the majority of his career, try to reestablish himself? I mean, I don't even know how how old Matt Stafford is. 32? He was drafted in what, 2009, 2010? If he's only 32, I mean – yeah, but I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I wouldn't think that uh, Detroit would be that ready to move on from Matt Stafford. I mean, he's been, he's been, he's great statistically. He just hasn't 
it has well, they got they got coach. they got no head coach right now. You know what I'm saying? Their head coaching vacancy is open. You have Kenny Galladay who can't stay healthy. Marvin Jones is a free agent. Adrian Peterson was your starting running back because Swift was in and out of injury. Your yep. defense is an absolute abomination, and you're always at the bottom of your division. Like Matthew Stafford is going to go down in history as one of the NFL's most wasted talents, along with Andrew Luck. Yep. Like the yep. man was battling injuries every single week he was on the injury report and he was still going out there and doing his thing but you can't comp you can't overcompensate for lack of talent so that's where yep. i think you go out there new england gives them like a one-year deal they stay trade gilmore they cut some people or they move and restructure some deals and you draft the help but new england's an enticing place because you have the greatest coach in history a winning no, culture and a no solid receivers. average defense right now. Average with, at best. With no receivers. But that's what I'm saying. You build receivers in the draft, you make acquisitions, you go out and do so you, you, I'm just I'm just saying, I think it's I think the I think that New England seems like a feasible location for Matthew Stafford at this point in his career. To me. I'll tell you this. If it were up to me, and this is this is gonna be interesting to really see. I think what they should do is, and I'm talking offensively here. I'm not talking about defensively. I think defensively they'll be okay. They still have a pretty solid core, even with kind of like the older, the, the older guys kind of reaching the end of their careers. I think what they need offensively is they need an identity change at the receiver position, because I think what's happening is that these guys that they're bringing in, I think they are, what's the word? I think it's like it's like almost like death by like analysis. They're almost I think it's the scheme that they that they're running. I don't think it suits receivers well. Because I think a lot of guys some of them can pull it off, but the guys that they bring in, either they can't identify the coverages right or they can't run the routes right. They haven't been able to find anybody where they run precise routes. And they get separation and they know how to read. They know how to read the, the, the coverages because when you look at like the guys that they, they have had, whether it was uh, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Amendola, really the receivers that have thrived in new England system have largely been free agents. Not, it has not come through the draft. There's been a few exceptions like Troy Brown, David Patton and Julian Edelman. There have been a couple. But predominantly, the, the, the receivers that have really thrived in New England have been free agents. Danny Amendola was one. Wes Welker was probably the most productive Patriot receiver in, in their history. He was a free agent. He came from Miami. And then outside of that, you know, you had, you had Randy, Randy Moss. Moss. You had Randy Moss. And he had, he had 23 touchdowns the first year that he was there. So that's why I got him on my freaking wall behind me. Like, until they address the receiver position, that team is going to go nowhere. They have they have a solid running back core. I give them that. They have a, they have a pretty deep running back core. But until they fix this, what well, I mean, they got, they got to deal with two situations. They got to deal with the quarterback position and the receiver position. I mean, they got two of them. They got two of those situations going against them right now. So, you know, they they could bring in a, they could bring in a quarterback or. Uh, they, I, I think that they're, I think they're going to draft it. I think they're going to draft a quarterback or two it, this year. I think they need to. They need, they, they need to find 
something. I'm not saying that you have to be Tom Brady and go out there and dominate the league for 20 years. But you cannot have an offense like you had this year with Cam only throwing five touchdowns this year. Five. He had like 12 interceptions. Now he, grant, or he had like 10 interceptions. Now, granted, he ran for 12. But 17 total touchdowns to 10 interceptions, it's, it, it's just not going to cut it. They're one of the more – their offense is difficult to watch. I don't think it's as difficult to watch as like Washington sometimes because Washington's offense can be pretty – can be pretty Boy. stagnant. Yeah, so I think, you know, the one thing moving forward with New England is obviously deal with the quarterback situation, keep drafting receivers, but I do think that they're going to need a schematic change with the receiver at the receiver position, whether that's coaching or that's design. They got to do something to address that because the guys that they bring in just simply cannot produce outside of a couple of guys that they've had in their past. And Gronk was maybe Gronk was maybe an exception. So very well said. You would know better than me because you know damn well I ain't watching no motherfucking Patriot games. Yeah, so I mean, but the thing oh, is, we like, play each other next year, homeboy. You coming to Indy? Probably gonna lose that game. I'm okay with that. I swear to God, Kyle, if you just jinxed it and we lose, I'm gonna be pissed. Uh, look, 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 like we won. We won for a very long time. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to brag. I, I'm, just, I'm just being matter of fact here. No, realistic. When you go on a run like that for 20 years, you can't – it just can't be that forever. You have to go Amen. through these changes. Obviously, this is the change. Indy kind of went through it a little bit after Peyton got hurt. But then they were quickly able to recover from that because they were able to draft Andrew Luck. So in the end, the the pain didn't last that long. They were able to pretty they were able to recover from that fairly quickly. With the Patriots, though, I don't know how they're going to be able to remedy this situation until they get the quarterback right and then the receivers right. So it, 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 it's gonna suck for a couple of years. That's kind of like my that's kind of like my my future prediction for the Patriots. Just like Granted, they've been great for 20 years. They won six Super Bowls. They they basically made the AFC East a completely insignificant division as far as I'm concerned for that period of time. I mean, they went to eight straight AFC Championship games from like 2011 to like 2019. They they don't have anything left to prove from that run anymore. That, That run is over with. Now it's time to retool and just start building up that next generation of the team. because. That Brady generation is done. That it's it's over with. Now you just have to you have to move on and and just kind of build up the, the future of the team, the, that next generation of of Patriot teams. That's what they're really trying to work out right now, and it's it's going to be difficult. I don't think it's going to be easy because like future prospects for this team, I don't think this team is going to look good anytime soon, unless they fix the quarterback and the wide receiver position. I just I don't see it anytime soon. Well, with that being said, I believe now our episode has concluded as we are going on almost, almost three hours. Three hours. This, man, this was I don't care. I, I, I love what we do. I love that we both get enthusiastic about it and we laugh and we, we share ideas and dude, this this podcast idea 
was probably the greatest idea and inspiration I've ever had personally. And, and the thing is, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, like, you know, like right now, like this is the, the, the best time in the NFL for the next month. This is what everybody in the NFL lives for from beginning of January up until the Super Bowl. Like this, this is the best time to watch, you know, the best teams go at it and really kind of prove who, who's the best. And I like, for me, like granted, like the Patriots are in it. So it's, it's a little bit different for me this year, but there are some really great teams out there and I'm just, I'm really excited to, to see, you know, who comes out on top in the end. So obviously we've got some great matchups this weekend. And I, I, I'm just, I'm really excited for, for what we have in store for us this weekend. Amen. 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 But you know, with that being said, you got anything left, brother? I'm all set from here, man. You got anything for me? No, sir. And for the both of us at the Home Field Podcast and the 1046 and 1 Podcast, we would like to thank you and uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And for those of you who didn't hear, Happy New Year. And uh, let's have a great rest of the week. Go Colts, baby. All right. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.